The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome aboard National Football Show with your boy Big Joe. Man, the NFL and football and sports right now, there is no other reality show in America that can touch it. It really isn't, man. I mean, NBA, NHL, the NFL, the storylines that are going around now, the Philadelphia Eagles, other places, OTAs are going on. It is nothing like this time of the year. You know, you always hear... Other people saying this, you know, this is kind of like the downtime. There's no such thing any longer as downtime when it comes to the NFL, is there, right? I was watching the press conference today, for that matter, with the Philadelphia Eagles. By the way, real quick, Seth Joyner will join us at the bottom of the hour. We will talk to our friend, get his spin on what he has seen this offseason for the Eagles. Also, Jonathan Gannon spoke today, and they're saying – that they're going to open it up more. They're saying that they're going to gamble more. They're saying all the right things. But no question, here on May 24th, everybody can say those things. And it's easy to say that now. So we'll talk to Seth Joyner. That'll be at the bottom of the hour. Okay, let me ask you this right now here. Do you think that those two first-round draft choices – in 2023, for the Eagles, are earmarked for a quarterback as of today? Yes or no? I thought about that. There's no way the front office is sold on Jalen. You hear every media person that covers the team. They make the same comments we all have made. It's up to Jalen. Do we not agree? In 2022, to erase that mentality that those two first-rounders are earmarked for a quarterback. Whether it be a veteran quarterback, whether it be one of the seven kids who are going to go in the first round. Do we sit here today, and, and by the way, this is not an indictment or a conversation today about Jalen and what he has to do. We've already gone over that numerous times. I'm asking, as of today, are those two first-rounders right now positioned, not for a corner, not for a safety, not for a running back, but do you think that they are earmarked for a quarterback in next year's draft? I happen to think they are. I think the play of Jalen, Has to erase that mentality. Because right now, would we not say this, okay? Would we not say this? That they're probably 50% sold on Jalen. They're probably right down the middle right now. That's why he got this extra year here. And again, no conversations on what he has to do to keep. I want to know what they're thinking today. Not in September. 
Okay? I think they are. I think those two draft choices, those first rounders, I think they're earmarked for a type of quarterback that Howie and the owner want. And if Jalen can't deliver it, by the way, every single thing is set up right now for his success. They got the $100 million wide out. They drafted a kid in the first round a year ago. They got a tight end who's going to be successful. They've got a dominant and powerful running game. Zach says, no doubt. Ernest says, no doubt. Even Chris, yeah. I think they're thinking quarterback with those first rounders. They could package him up, move up into the first round. You know what I'm saying? I mean, yes. Good. We're all in agreement here. Barring a Super Bowl win, Chris, I say barring getting to the Super Bowl. I think if Jalen Hurts gets that team to the Super Bowl, I think the Eagles are going to be put in an even bigger position where they'll have to make a decision. Okay? The more he wins, the tougher the decision is going to be. Because all of us believe right now, right, that today, today, those two first-rounders are earmarked for a quarterback. I just wanted to get that out there. That all the things that we're saying and all the great stuff that we're talking about with this football team, there is no doubt that the future right now, they're looking at the present, evaluating the present. They're looking at everything on the team. They're looking at the coaches. Right, Zach? They're probably like this. Hey, man, I'm comfortable going into this year with Jalen Hurts as my quarterback because let's just be candid. If they didn't get Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson – they were not going to bring in some guy who was just an average dude to kind of be in the middle of the pack. This is why Seattle hasn't signed Baker Mayfield. Why would Seattle want to sign Baker Mayfield? To be kind of good? Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that, Miguel. Thank you so much. Please hit. Please hit the like button. Thank you so much. Why? Seattle doesn't want to bring in a good quarterback. That's why Drew Locke and Geno Smith are up there. They're going to go with what they have so they can get into next year's draft. Right? So, to me, they're giving Jalen an opportunity, but Jalen, to me, has to do this. They have to, without a doubt, okay, have Jalen Hurts change their mind. I believe that they're sold they're going to go get a quarterback next year. It's up to Jalen's play to erase that. Very cool, Miguel. Thank you so much for being a new member to come over to our show. We really appreciate it. That is so dope of you to do that, man. And we thank you so much. All right. We're also going to hit on five burning questions for the NFC East. Also, Do you think A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts are a good match? I'll explain. Hit that like button again. Don't forget, we have our friend Seth Joyner joining us. That'll be at the bottom of the hour here. Okay. Five burning questions. Five burning questions for the NFC East. Let's get to them. I think everyone knows what the Eagles' situation is. Do they have the quarterback, yes or no? There is no other question that that football team has to answer than that one. It's been a three-year running debate since Carson Wentz 
and now Jalen Hurts. Do we agree? The storyline and one of the five burning questions in the NFC East has to be whether or not the Eagles have their guy. Yes or no. Right? That's the Eagles. Cowboys, what would you think would be their main theme going into this 2022 season? I'd say this, can Mike McCarthy survive? Will this be the swan song for Mike McCarthy? How many years are you going to keep going along and putting along with Jason Garrett, Mike McCarthy, nine wins, 10 wins, 11 wins, and you get bounced in the opening round of your playoffs? It's not that it matters. You know, you could also put this out there for the Cowboys. Is Dak really the guy? What do you think is the bigger burning question in the NFC East? If Mike McCarthy is in his last year as a head coach, or if Dak is really the guy, which one is more of a burning question in Dallas? I think Mike McCarthy, it really doesn't matter who the head coach is. If you're in Dallas, because Jerry Jones runs the team through his puppet coach. I mean, look, Mike McCarthy is not even the play caller. It's Kellen Moore. And they kept Kellen Moore from the previous staff. So to me, again, does it really matter? Dak Prescott may need a better play caller. Would Dak be better with a guy like Sean McVay? Would he? I don't know. I, I, I actually, last year, even when he got all of his money, I went like this. I don't know. I thought Dak walked back in my eyes. Hey, I like all the intangibles that Dak Prescott brings to a team, the same intangibles that Jalen Hurts brings. Leadership, everyone respects him. Everyone around the league likes him. I'm good with all that. End of the day, though, is he a $45 million a year guy? Will Dan Quinn, who got... Numerous opportunities to be like a head coach in the NFL and other places. He's very high on Jerry Jones' list. Remember, Dan Quinn took that Falcons team to a Super Bowl. So, I mean, Dallas really has two questions. Is Dak really the guy? And is Mike McCarthy on a respirator as head coach there in Dallas? The Giants. Here's their questions. For me, Joe Sharon, who comes over from Buffalo, was a wizard in putting together that roster and really did a great job at accumulating draft choices and really did a nice job for Sean McVay, excuse me, Sean McDermott and all the dudes in Buffalo. They brought a lot of talent. They did a great job in free agency, getting Stefan Diggs in there. They've done a nice job in the draft. They gambled and went out and got Josh Allen, who has panned out big time for them. Hell, even McDermott at some time or another in Buffalo was also a question mark on whether or not he was going to be a good fit there in Buffalo. But he's been a great fit, okay? And now he brings that to the New York Giants. Then you had Brian Dable. You know, these guys take over for Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge. Is a new regime going to change the direction of the Giants? 
because let's let's be candid here. The Giants over the last 10 years, there's been two things that the New York Giants can't do. You know what that is? He he they have not been able to develop an old line or a quarterback. Isn't it funny? Since Eli Manning's retired, the Giants have been chaotic at the quarterback position. And who would have thunk that when you had a guy like Tom Coughlin and Jerry Reese in the building, those two guys had the Giants stable and were perennial playoff teams and won a couple Super Bowls. Those guys did a really nice job at putting talent in the building. And when those two guys have left, the New York Giants have just been chaotic. Will this new regime end up bringing new results? Because the Giants, for a decade, have just been a train wreck. They have been a train wreck. And that organization, it's not so much about the players. Look, they go out, they get Trayvon Thibodeau. They go out and they really do a nice job at going out and getting some other components to try to fill some holes there. They also let James Bradbury go. How do you let that guy go with not getting any compensation whatsoever? You just let him walk out the building? I question that. But that could be a product of the old regime with Dave Gettleman. The Giants really... They've got a hope. And think of this for a second. How many times do you draft like five or six guys and you're hoping you hit on one? You changed out your GM and your head coach. You know how many times that that doesn't happen where you're changing both of those guys? That is a philosophy change. That is a course direction change when you're changing out GM and coach. That's a big deal, dude. And this is going to take some time for the Giants to sit there and think that, you know, this is going to happen here overnight. The Giants have to be patient. They're notoriously known for being patient, okay? But they're going to have to really do it their due diligence on this. You change out your GM and head coach, and you're expecting overnight returns, I'd be candidly uh, optimistic that that football team can win six games this year. That team with six games, that'd be a hell of a season for a new regime. In Washington, nobody really knows what's going on with the owner. The owner may be ousted. That may have a philosophical change at the head coach, general manager's position, who ends up getting control of the team. The next owner's meetings, supposedly they may be taking a vote to get rid of Daniel Snyder as the owner of the Washington Commanders. So they're in a chaotic state right now. Whether or not that football team could go out, wouldn't it be remarkable if Ron Rivera could go out and win a NFC East with all the turmoil going on above him? You know, all that stuff trickles down. And it's trickled down. And did you see what they did today? So Daniel Snyder went out and purchased a piece of land for $100 million because you know what he's going to do? He's going to go to his fan base, what fan base he has, and he's going to start petitioning for a new stadium. If there is an owner in NFL history that does not deserve economic relief from its fan base, it is the Washington Commanders. Why in the world would the Washington city officials and the D.C. officials award that guy any kind of financial compensation to bring a new stadium into an arena or into an area where they could build it? Why in the world would they do that? You have been a train wreck of an owner. You have alienated the fan base. You have shit on what was a great franchise 
And it's been a laughing stock. The Washington Commanders are the laughing stock. Okay? Are the laughing stock of the NFL. Just a laughing stock. We'll see what happens there. So the question would be for me, though, this is the last dance for Carson Wentz. This is their storyline. I'm putting storylines together for the teams in the NFC East. So you're to figure out if Jalen Hurts is the guy. We've all already agreed that those two first-rounders at 2023 are earmarked for a quarterback. Unless Jalen can prove otherwise, they're going to go get one. In Dallas, it's the coach. Is this Mike McCarthy's last go-round? Is he on the hot seat? He's got to be. You can't get bounced in the opening round with a payroll like that. You can't. The Giants, brand new regime. Will it turn around and turn the fortunes around of the Giants? And in Washington, it's got to be Carson Wentz's last dance. Carson Wentz is not going to get, and and know this, think about where we are here with this. With Carson Wentz, Washington traded assets away to get him. Baker Mayfield was the number one player selected overall four years ago. And the Browns, or I should say, when it comes to Baker Mayfield, the Clowns really don't know what they're doing with him or how to handle this situation. You know where they effed up? And I'll tell you what the Giants did. They took a page out of the clowns and said this, we're not going to pick up that fifth-year option and be caught in a position like the Browns are right now with Baker Mayfield where we owe them $18 million. Did you see what they said today? The Browns are going to pick up $10 million of it and they'll move him. The clowns are trying to save face for taking him number one overall instead of just cutting your losses. Okay, $18 million is on my cap. I'm going to eat this thing here, and you blow them out. Get them off the roster. They're going to OTAs this week. Okay, why have that distraction in your locker room? It makes no, it makes no sense to have that distraction. They gave up assets for Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz has got to show he's still a franchise-type guy and he's still got upside, okay? And it was unfortunate circumstances in Philly, and I'm not, I'm not siding on that. I'm saying that the perception out there is that Philly fell apart. And you know what Wentz can always lean on? You fired Doug Peterson, too, okay? You fired a Super Bowl coach. Then you got rid of me, Okay? They wanted the whole thing blown up. The stuff in Indianapolis, I'm not getting that. Jim Mercer had a cow with the way the season ended. And there is no question that Chris Ballard and the head coach, I don't really think wanted to get rid of Carson Wentz. They gave up a first round draft choice for him. They didn't want to get rid of him. What general manager in his right mind is going to trade away a guy they traded for for a first-round contingent pick, and then turn around and get threes for him. That's an L for the front office and the coach. Jim Mersey, in my opinion, has put Frank Wright and Chris Ballard on the hot seat. This thing here with Matt Ryan has to work. Also, they bring in Nick Foles. 
This is Jim Mercer at work here. You two dudes better deliver us a postseason, and we better win a game in the postseason. So Carson Wentz has a lot to prove here this year. Of all the quarterbacks in the NFC East, Jalen Hurts and his job position with the Eagles, Carson Wentz with his job position in the NFL, perception with Dak, the Giants are a headless horseman. They don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. Okay? I mean, end of the day, you got a lot of question marks going into the 2022 September season start for all these teams. And the most stable has to be the Eagles. Right? Look, we're go- we have here. We have question marks on Jalen Hurts. But we don't have the question marks on Jalen Hurts like we do Carson Wentz has on his resume. Leadership, blowing up in big games. Okay? We got really fundamental issues that we're talking with Jalen. Can he get more accurate? Can he utilize the weapons around him? Will he be a guy that's going to be able to move the chains through the air instead of running the football? Okay? I mean, all of that has to play itself out yet. But he doesn't have the question marks. Can you imagine this? Hey, can Jalen become more accurate this year? Okay, fair enough. He's a young quarterback. Here's the question marks with Carson Wentz. Can he lead? Can he not get frustrated? Can he not have one of those games where he just blows the season up like he did against the Titans and Jaguars last year? Two horrible moments for him were last year. So those are your storylines. As we sit here on May 24th for the NFC and the NFC East, I should say. I think the Eagles are probably, of all the teams that I mentioned, the most stable team. Ownership is a problem in Washington, even though they have Ron Rivera. There's some good talent there. The Cowboys with the meddling of the owner. Is Dak the guy overpaid Zeke? You know, Zeke Elliott's going to be the highest paid running back in the NFL this year. And he has an average 70 yards a game. And I can't remember how long. Ezekiel Elliott is the highest paid running back in the NFL. Wow. Right there in a nutshell is a prime example of what's wrong in Dallas. Jerry likes rewarding himself and the player. If the guy turns out to be decent, Jerry gives these contracts because it's a reflection on him. You know that Jalen Smith deal he gave himself and Jalen? He thought he found a superstar linebacker who was injured at Notre Dame in the the latter rounds, and he thought he was a stud. Turned out he wasn't really all that much. But Jerry gave him a big contract, had to eat that thing. That's the problem in Dallas. Jerry rewards the players because it's a reflection on him because he's the guy pulling the trigger on the draft. Okay? Man, I can't believe it too, dude. Make no mistake about it, okay? Make no mistake about it. Those are your burning questions. Also, I want to hit on Jalen and A.J. Brown. Seth Joyner's going to join us. Do me a favor. Please hit the like button. Keep it right here on the National Football Show.
choosing a lawyer for your injury case, you may ask, does the size of the law firm matter? Well, of course it does. The insurance company, they're huge with unlimited resources. And whether your case is big or small, they're built to bully you out of the money you're owed. But here's the good news. We're big too, the biggest actually. And we're built to fight to make them pay for all that was taken from you. Size is our strength. There's only one Morgan & Morgan. ForThePeople.com. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. The big story on Action. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. In Philadelphia, we celebrated the miracle with pride only five years ago. And then the following morning, IBEW Local 98 members went back to work, building this city, rescuing our communities from decay, and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are. Like the cats, Local 98 members believe in hope. To learn more about who we are, what we do, and career opportunities with Local 98, visit us, ibew98.org. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Welcome back. National Football Show. Please hit the like button. Thank you guys so much for coming aboard. Seth Joyner running a little bit late. He'll be with us in this hour, so be prepared. We're going to talk to him about the addition of Bradbury. Gannon's comments today. I mean, look, they say they're going to open it up. They say we're going to be able to do more things. They're going to mix it up more, whatever that means. Okay? That's a good sign. But again, we're talking here on May 24th. I want to see it implemented. How are you going to move all of these pieces around to be the most effective? Jim Schwartz was great at that. Jim Johnson was spectacular at that. You know, Buddy Ryan was notorious. You know, when you make the 52 defense and no one's able to run it, think about some of the greatest coordinators of all time. Okay, when you can make a defense up using your personnel like the 52, I mean, guys, that's brilliant. Wide tackle six with Tom Landry back in the day. When you're putting a 4-3-4 scheme together and you're doing things like that, that's innovative, defensive-minded guys looking at what they have as the chess pieces 
to be able to put on the board to get the most maximum out of the guys. Gone are the days of doing this. I'm going to run a 43. Running base 34-43, dude, that, that's out the window. They got wide nines now. That's right, Steven, my bad. 46 defense. Buddy came up with the 46. Okay, that was his baby. Nobody's been able to run a 46 since then. Okay, nobody. You, you, you have to have the Richard Dents. You have to have players like Steve McMichael and Mike Singletary and Ron Rivera and all those great players that were on Doug Plank, Gary Fensick, Wilbur Marshall. You've got to be able – that 46 was a hybrid of the Tampa 2. That's where Dungey got the Tampa 2 from. He got the Tampa 2. You know where Tony, you know where Tony Dungey told me where the Tampa 2 came from? It came from the Steel Curtain because that's where he cut his teeth when he was a Steeler player and from what the Bears did with that 46. It's a combination hybrid. And Tony put that Tampa 2 together with that mentality. You have to have a really good pass rush and you have to have a corner that can blitz and you have to have a linebacker that can cover tight ends and also play the run. And Derek Brooks. Look at the three players that they had. They had Rondé Barber, Derek Brooks, and Warren Sapp. And he built that Tampa 2 around that mentality. It was formulated. Tony told me this. So when you're a really great coordinator, there's really nothing based to anything. I mean, yeah, that's right, Stephen. Watching Mel Blunt play and watching those guys in the secondary and the way Ham and Lambert and the way Joe Green played, think about what they had. And that's where he got the fundamentals. Joe Green, Jack Lambert, and Mel Blunt. And you had Rondé Barber, Derek Brooks, and Warren Sapp. Three fundamental pieces on every level. Think of that. That's kind of what the Rams have. Donald. Linebackers aren't the best. But they got Ramsey in the back end. You don't really see nowadays NFL those three components. Tampa kind of has that. Okay, they got a good corner, they got a good linebacking core, and they got a good front seven. Tampa kind of has all that. Okay? So, that's where you're looking at. And seeing how you run a particular style defense. Randall says you like the 3-4-3 front that Barrett Brooks even said that they might run. Dude, I want to get a pass rush. I want to get a pass rush on people. Pass rushing wins today in the NFL. Plain and simple. If you can't get after a quarterback today in today's NFL, you are not going anywhere. You cannot be 31. Play what they played a year ago. That's why when Gannon said today to the media, they're going to mix it up. They're going to – they have to. Now we have the personnel to do this. All right, let me let me transition into this here. What do you think AJ Brown's biggest strengths are as a football player? What do you think his if 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 you're Nick Sirianni, okay? You're Nick Sirianni. 
What do you think A.J. Brown's biggest asset is? You think it's going deep? I don't. Yards after the catch. I'll put that down. Yak? Probably number one. Um, good hands? Okay. NFL, I'm hoping that's the case. Okay. Sylvan says, yak. Okay. You guys pretty much have it. You know, you throw him the ball in and across the middle of the field. Physicality? Okay. Yak on 50-50 footballs being thrown? Okay. All of it. You guys, very good. Big body receiver like Michael Irvin? Would we not call A.J. Brown a Michael Irvin type? Physicality? Okay. You guys all saw Michael Irvin play, right? Would we look at A.J. Brown and maybe even say this, maybe a little bit bigger of a Michael Irvin? You look at him and you go like this, maybe a little bit bigger Michael Irvin? Right? I think that's a fair comparison. Would we not say? Right? Okay. All of that being said now. Phillips says, hey, Big Seals, do you see us running the RPOs at a high percentage of the passing game this upcoming season? Phillip, I surely hope not. Okay. Brown faster than Irvin? Okay. He's a bigger version and a faster version, but he's a physical presence. Michael Irvin was a physical presence. Okay. In the Cowboy offense. The guy who went deep was Alvin Harper. Michael Irvin was not a deep threat. Michael Irvin was physical at the line of scrimmage and got yards like 11, 13, 14. He was that kind of player. Isn't that what A.J. Brown is? He's that kind of guy. Okay. Which means this, what? Going across the middle. This is what A.J. Brown is. He's a guy that goes across the middle. What is the one area of Jalen Hurts' game that worries you the most? What is that? What is the one thing that worries you the most in the way that he plays? To me, it's throwing across the middle. We see a lot of these rollouts throwing over to the sidelines, down the field, close to the sideline, hash marks. He doesn't throw across the middle, okay? He doesn't throw across the middle. He struggles at that. My question is, here's something here. I wonder if the Eagles really looked at this and said, A.J. Brown goes across the middle a lot. Jalen Hurts struggles throwing the ball across the middle a lot. Jalen's going to have to work at finding A.J. Brown. And he get this. What I'm saying is, is that Jalen Hurts is going to have to improve the weakest part of his game, throwing across the middle of the field, in between the hash marks. This is where the great quarterbacks make their money. Brady's not a deep thrower. He's a dink and dunker. And he is a hash mark guy with Gronk. Line, block, get off, release, throw it to him, 
guys cutting across the middle, slant passes. Okay? He's going to have to improve the weakest part of his game or we're going to know immediately. A.J. Brown is not a deep threat. It's not what he was brought here for. He was brought here to be part of the running attack. More, more importantly, to transform the passing game. You don't pay $100 million for a wide receiver to get in the blocking game. I can get any stiff to do that. I can get Whiteside to do that. Okay? Hurts has to get better. And fast. Is it really, what would have been better to get him? A burner, like a Tyree Kill? Or a guy like this? He struggled. Okay? Double O says, Hurts is a new age Alex Smith. Alex Smith was accurate, bro. And he won a lot of football games. I don't think Hurts is as accurate as Alex Smith. Absolutely not. You think Jalen Hurts is a better quarterback than Alex Smith? I don't know. And don't give me he works hard. I don't want to hear that. Stop with that conversation. Everybody works hard. Quez is our deep threat. Okay, so wait a minute here. Quez is your deep threat. Jalen struggles throwing the ball across the middle. What's A.J. Brown's role? What's what's A.J. Brown's role? Going across the middle? And he's going to have to rely on Jalen Hurts to get him the ball. He struggles at going through progressions as of now. Maybe that improves. Maybe we're going to see, hey, you know, you guys bring up Josh Allen a lot. You guys bring up Josh Allen a lot. He, he did improve in that. He improved in his progression reading from year one to year two. He did. He improved a lot. So we can give the benefit of the doubt here, potentially to Jalen for doing the same stuff if he can improve like that. Look, you're bringing in. There's no question that A.J. Brown, in my opinion, A.J. Brown is a top flight wide receiver. John, the question is going to be, though, if Jalen can get him the ball. This We're not talking about a player who makes a living on sidelines and going up the sidelines. We're talking about a player like A.J. Brown who makes a living going across the middle. A.J., that's his bread and butter. Jalen Hurts last year almost single-handedly avoided that. And so did the coaching staff got, got away from that. Now, to be all fair, maybe they felt they didn't have the personnel on the field to go across the middle like that. And that's why I always looked at Dallas Goddard going, I thought Dallas Goddard actually a year ago was underutilized. If you've got a quarterback that struggles going across the middle, throw to your tight end or throw your screen passes. Get your screen game going. They, they never got that going. Because Jalen struggles at throwing a screen pass. That was one of the big issues I had with the offense. Not being able... See, look. This team has to develop play action. How do you have the number one rushing attack and you have one of the worst play action um, offenses in the league? Okay? How, that's because you don't have a screen game 
and you're not throwing to the tight ends enough. By the way, will somebody do me a favor? Will somebody tell me how many catches Dallas Goddard had last year? Okay. Because traditionally, what's been the position leading the wide receivers? For the Philadelphia Eagles, it's been the tight end position, not the wideout position. You know, the 100 catches that you've had in a year by a, cat, by a catching receiver, tight end or receiver, have come from the tight end position. They have not come from the wideout position. Now, you've had numerous 1,000-yard guys, but the 100-catch guys, they, they don't come from your wideout position. They come from your tight ends. They need to get more play action going. If you're going to help Jalen find A.J. Brown across the middle, they've got to start implementing a little bit more because as of right now, okay, 80-ish, if he had 80 catches last year, Dallas Goddard, that's a pretty damn impressive year. I, I'm, I, I would be wrong there because 80 is a big number for a tight end. Um, Dave, as of right now, AJ doesn't really match up with Jalen's skill set. It's almost like you went out and hired a hundred thousand dollar, a hundred million dollar player. Okay, fifty six catches. That's kind of low for a position that could have been more effective in creating play action. You got fifty six in a position where you gave a contract extension to, too. Add that into the mix there, okay? 830 yards in four touchdowns is pretty impressive. I'm, I'm kind of shocked that actually Dallas Goddard wasn't an alternate to the Pro Bowl because, I don't know, man, okay? 64 for 830 is pretty good. But that number, I'll tell you this. A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith will benefit mightily if you make the focal point in the passing game and open up the middle if you go more to Dallas Goddard. Everybody's going to be expecting Jalen Hurts to go to A.J. Brown and to Devontae Smith. But if they could develop that tight end position in their screen game more, the middle of the field will have more windows. Last year, Jalen struggled. Do we all agree? 56 catches is not terribly a lot. The 800-plus yards is really good for the amount of catches that he had. So that's pretty good. But do we agree? So we're not sitting here and people are misconstruing this as I'm talking trash on them. I'm saying one of the things that they have to work on is figuring out if Jalen can make that throw across the middle of the field. If he can't make that throw across the middle of the field, what are we talking about here? You have to be an NFL quarterback and you make your living, not outside the hash marks. You make your living inside the hash marks. Okay? Okay? So, he's got to. He's got to sit here and Nick Sirianni has to sit here and and really develop that in this offseason. Look, we saw what happened in the playoff game against the Buccaneers. It was a train wreck in finding wide open wideouts. He now added A.J. Brown to the mix. There's a year of experience. You have OTAs. 
These guys have been throwing the ball around. There's a lot of excitement. And so everyone knows where I'm coming from. This is not trash talking. This is just an observation on what they need to improve on as we get ready for September. Am I wrong? That's all I'm saying. Zach says, I feel like Jalen will read the middle of the field better this year. He will read defenses better too. GT says he can sills. I've seen that. Bob says, AJ and Jalen are boys. The front office is banking on their comfort level and friendship. Bob, that's important. Won't say it's not. Trust level, okay? But then a skill level has to be in there too. You know what I mean? A skill level. He avoided the middle of the field last year. Now again, maybe that's because there wasn't really a guy going across the middle who was going to be able to help the quarterback out. Yeah, Chris goes, he struggled with 3,100 yards. You know, Chris, that could also be a personnel thing. And the coaches got away from that a little bit, okay? Okay? How is the CB2 going to cover Devontae Smith? See, here's what Xander says. How is a cornerback two who is not going to be on the main wideout, A.J. Brown, going to cover Devontae? I don't think that's the question. I think is that Jalen can find him. Okay? You're right. I think Devontae Smith last year was open almost all the time. But that didn't result in numbers like Jalen Waddell or Jamarcus Chase. Because the quarterback couldn't find him. We were screaming that the entire playoff game against the Bucs. It was wide open. Devontae Smith in that game should have had 14 catches. That's not what I'm saying. And again, another year, more improvement, added personnel, deeper in the core with the position. All of that is true. But what I'm doing is, hey, and by the way, again, The only way that the Philadelphia Eagles are going to get better is knowing your deficiencies. And when we point out the deficiencies, it's not really ripping. By the way, you guys can say whatever you want sometimes about me being negative. I picked you to win the NFC and get to the Super Bowl. So whatever you say, Dan Cilio is not negative on the Eagles. I got you going to the Super Bowl. All right? 31st week of schedule. NFC with all the question marks we talked about with the five burning questions. All of that. All of that plays a factor. But yet in the end, I still went like this. Eagles are the most stable in that division. I think they've got the personnel to do it. Again, this is talking about getting better here. That's all this is. Okay? And so... When I was thinking about the addition of AJ, I was like, how are they, how, how are they going to use him? How are they going to implement him when Jalen is still here on level two? I think quarterbacks have five levels. Aaron Rodgers is a level five. Brady's a level five. Russell Wilson's a level five. Guys who have seen everything. Good in the screen game. Good in the deep game. Good in the intermediate game. 
setting up the run through the pass, all of that. Those guys, pre-snap reads, those are five-level guys. I personally think right now Josh Allen is getting into that four-level. We'll see, okay? We'll see. Hey, guys, don't forget tonight, I'm also going to be on the Seth Joyner show, and I'm going to be there with Hollis Thomas, and we're going to be talking some ball. But he decided to join us here too, man. We really appreciate our friend, Seth Joyner, for joining us here, my friend. Thank you so much for doing this, Seth. I really appreciate you coming aboard, brother. How you doing, man? I apologize for being late today, man. Just another busy day in Hollywood. Hey, man, big hitters don't apologize for anything. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Seth, big hitters don't apologize, man. All right. So today, Jonathan Gannon met the press a little bit, and he said he's going to mix it up. Tell me, in your opinion, with all the personnel that they have added to the team here, they now have a CB2. They now have a pass rusher who has double-digit sacks at multiple places in Hassan Reddick. In your opinion, the addition of James Bradbury means what for Jonathan Gannon? It, it, it just means a little more freedom. It, it, it really all depends on what James Bradbury's skill set really is. You know, I've heard some reports that he's more of a zone corner than he is actually a man corner. Um, If that's the case, you know, it creates some problems because if you really, really want to get to a point where you want to be a lot more aggressive on the defensive side of the ball, then you're still worried about CB2 over there and how do you protect him. Um, That, in essence, you know, is, is what you're looking at. But it's not just the cornerback. It's looking at all the new pieces that they have across the board, Dan. Listen, you've got a double-digit sack guy, you know, um, you know, from the last two years, Sam Reddick has had over, you know, 10-plus sacks. Um, you know, you've added not only one of the top linebackers in the draft, but you went out and you signed another one in free agency. Um, you signed, you know, you, you, you got competition at that position, Um you know, you you've got you got deeper on the defensive front as far as you know your defensive tackles are concerned, and you got BG coming back. Um, so you have all the tools at your disposal that you need to be more aggressive than you've ever been. There's really no excuse. Um, the the only excuse that I can see is that if James Bradbury certainly is a guy who can't play a lot of man to man coverage, um, you know, that could be problematic. But at the end of the day, what you know this team has been built on the success or the, the strength of, I should say the offensive and defensive fronts. And just based upon what you did with, you know, Davis and, and Reddick, you know, you've made your defensive front that much, that much stronger. Now you got to rely on those guys to go and get it done. Even though the, the, the coverage and, and, and the, the rush go hand in hand, you know, the strength of this football team still is, especially on the defensive side of the ball, is the front five, the front four. You, you know, I, I asked this question, you know, to a lot of folks, and to me, I didn't realize that Reddick was 6-1-230. How do you think they're going to utilize that? I mean, you're not playing him on first and second down in a 43. You're just not, because I would run them right at him, and I'd wear this guy out by week eight the NFL. I'm not doing that, so... How do you think Gannon uses him situationally? Because, Seth, I mean, we're not talking about Micah Parsons here, who's 6'4", or Chase Young, who's 6'3 and a half, 235 pounds. We're, hey, and his success, like you said, I mean, two different teams, two different systems. He's a double-digit sack guy. I get it. But 
How do you, how do you think he utilizes them? This is one of the things that, you know, this had me a little perplexed. Yeah, you go and you sign a guy who has some success in other places, but does he really fit what it is that you want to do? And if he doesn't fit what you want to do, can you figure out a way to um, improvise what you do to use his skill set? Listen, everybody everybody wants to talk about, you know, 30 front or 40 front, you know, whatever. Listen, everyone's running some type of 4-2 scheme, okay? That's just offensive personnel dictates that. You can say whatever you want to say, and teams can talk about whatever they want to talk about. You know, every once in a while, you know, the Eagle will get in, you know, pretty much a 30 front. You know, they'll get into an Eagle front or a Bear front, you know, where they cover up the three the three interior guys and, you know, kick two guys outside in a seven or a wide or a wide eight or wide nine. You know, but for the most part, you're living in a 4-2, a 4-2 situation. Um, so when they sign Hassan Reddick, I asked the question, okay, how are you going to use him? How are you going to get creative and, and use him? Because you certainly can't line him up at defensive end every 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 down, you know, at 6'1", 235 pounds. That doesn't work. I mean, I heard some reports he's up to, you know, 250. Even if he's up to 250, you can't – it's still a mismatch. You know, you're going to give up 80, 80 to 90 pounds against guys, you know, he's going to have to go against. You know, so are you going to become – you know, a base five, five, two front, you know, where you're going to run five downs, that's going to take away from a guy in the back end, you know, so you're going to be hurt as far as coverage is concerned because when the team's going to be able to dictate what type of defense you can be on just based upon personnel, it already happens, you know? So I'm curious to see how Jonathan Gannon is going to use him. That Now the, the benefit of having him is that a, in obvious pass rush situations, you can cut him loose. The other plus in having him is that the Eagles did run a lot of five men mm. last year. You saw Jannard Avery in that role, you know, on the outside. Um, he was not very adept at dropping into coverage. He wasn't adept at covering. Um, but there's a whole lot of things that Jonathan Gannon can do with him, and I'm curious to see what he actually does. You know, you can bring him out on on first down and line up in a five-man set, okay? You can – bring him, pull him back off the ball. And you can, you can go nickel personnel. You know, he could be your second linebacker, but you line him up in a five man front. Okay. Once the quarterback gets into his cadence, you shift from a five man to a four man. Look, bring him back off the ball. You can drop him. You can bring him on pressures. There's a whole lot of different things. And he's very good at dropping in the coverage because when he was originally drafted by the Arizona Cardinals, they tried to make him, an off-the-ball linebacker for a while, so he has a little bit of that skill set. But his true skill set is his ability to rush the passer. But you can you can morph your defenses, and you can do a lot of things with a Hassan Reddick now. Um, it just all depends on how creative Jonathan Gannon can be. I didn't see a lot of creativity last year. doesn't mean that he doesn't have it in there now that he has all the pieces, but we're still all in a wait-and-see process. You know, Seth, you you just nailed it there, and it was a spectacular take because you played for one of the greatest innovators. I mean, the 46 defense was built around personnel. Mm -hmm. Tony Dungy took the what he learned with the Steelers Steel Curtain, what he saw with what Buddy Ryan did with the 46 and created the Tampa 2. That's the creativity that I think that you're talking about. Look what the Ravens do. They go to their personnel, too. They just don't do this, right, Seth? 
well, we're going to run a base 43 or a base 34 or a base wide nine, seven. We're going here. And you become creative off of that here. And when you tell me that James Bradbury is more of a zone uh, defensive back, to me, you got another guy on the other side who could press coverage, guys. I mean, to me, I thought you'd want to be more with the front seven that you have. You'd want to be able to find a guy out there to press coverage people because, like you said, the strength of this team is in the defensive line. I don't want to sit here. That secondary needs to help that D-line get to the quarterback. You can't be 31st. I guess my question is, Jonathan, again, you kind of broached it a little bit. Do you think, again, this is what we're going to see when they say, like today he said, we're going to mix it up. That's what he's talking about. Listen, he's not going to come out and tell you, you know, Dan, exactly what he's going to do. But this is some of the same rhetoric that we heard last year. You know, when we went into the preseason – Oh, you know, everything you're doing in preseason is, is extremely vanilla. You know, there's no diversity. There's no creativity. Oh, well, you know, this is what we're going to run in the, in the preseason. Once we get to the regular season, you know, we'll change it up and, and do some things differently. Never saw it. Never saw it. You know, I just, I just, it, it blew my mind, you know, in third, third and three situations, you're playing cover three with your, with your two cornerbacks off the ball you know, five, six, seven yards. You're basically going to give up a first down every down, you know, at least get up and press and, and, and have him bail. But, you know, for for good quarterbacks, they're going to look out there and see that guy off right now and raise up and throw it to him now or run a slant or run a speed out, and it's automatic first down. Um, I just didn't see the diversity in what they do. I didn't see, you know, the blitzing situation was very predictable. Anytime Alex Singleton walked up on the line of scrimmage, you knew that the blitz was coming. If I could see that from an analytical standpoint, you mean to tell me the guys that are paid on a day, day in, day out, month in, month out, year to year basis, to get paid to digest and look at this and eat and sleep it all the time. You think they're not going to pick up on that? You know, you, you think they're not going to pick up on that on a, a four game breakdown when they game planning for you? You know, so I just don't see it. I, I don't see I, and, and I have to, and I have to see it. You know, I'm curious as to, you know, who is the guy that that Jonathan Gannon came up under, okay? And what was his defensive philosophy? Because a lot of times, you know, you are a chip off of where you come from. Yeah. You know, your mentality is the same as where you come from. So, you know, if your mentality is a cover three shell or a cover two shell, then that's what you're used to. You know, you're going to bend but don't break. The problem with that is, and I'll continue to say it because I come from, you know, a very aggressive, you know, natured um, defense coordinator for the majority of my career is that I know that football players take on the personality of their coaches. Okay. Now, if you've got a, if you got a kick-ass, you know, head coach, well, guess what? His team's going to be kick-ass. If you got a, a, an aggressive defensive coordinator, guess what? Because of his play calling that forces you as a player to be more aggressive. But if you're calling plays from a very passive standpoint, then that causes your players to play passive. And a lot of times last year, you saw the Eagles defense extremely passive. Now, some of those guys will come back and say, oh, you know, well, Seth doesn't understand situational football. The hell I don't. I played in the league for 13 years. I know what situational football is all about. We were calling it. We knew what situational football was, you know, while you were in pampers and diapers and, and, and whatnot. So don't talk to me about, you know, situational football. There comes a point in every single game where you got to let them hang. Well, you got to say to yourself, you know what? We got to come and we got to bring pressure. 
and whether, you know, I feel comfortable with it or not as a defensive coordinator, I got to trust that my guys will get the job done. Okay. So if you're going to talk about going for it on, on fourth and one, you know, from the one, one yard line or fourth and one from the 50, but yet you get in situations in the game defensively where it's third and seven, you know, and you never show an ounce of aggression. Okay, what kind of what kind of confidence are you expressing in your defense when all you do is drop back in zone and drop back to the sticks and damn near give up first downs all the time? That makes no sense to me. At what point in time do you require your guys to man up and get the job done for five seconds? That's how long it takes for a play to develop, for a play to happen. Hey, I need you to cover this guy for five seconds. We're going to bring a little extra pressure. Need you to do your job. Need you to stand up. Need you to be a big boy on this play. That's the way the game works. And if you're going to sit there and play bim but don't break, then that's what that's the type of mindset that you mold it, you, you know, your players in, and you're never going to be successful with that type of mindset. Seth, do they have that kind of leadership, though? Because I could see you doing this, walking over to the sidelines and looking at Fisher and all the rest of the coaching staff there when you guys were all together going, hey, man, they're killing us with the tight end on the seam here. We're going to have to do something. I'll cover them for five seconds, but we got to bring some pressure here. Do they? Because like you just said, Seth, it's one thing to put it on a chalkboard and nobody to say anything in the huddle and just run the plays. It's another thing to have leadership out there in the huddle to someone to go like this. Hey, man, slide over a little more. Cover that cover that nose on a one gap. Maybe tilt it in there. Do something here, man. You got to keep that guy off me. Do they have enough of that? Is there enough leadership in that huddle right now to make those subtle adjustments? Seth, you know this as well as anybody. How many times did you move Jerome or Reggie over and say something here? Hey, make sure you watch out for the reverse. They may be running a counter tray here. Do they have that on that side of the ball? Well, first, let me let me start off with this, you know. We never played against the tight end, you know, where I needed help, okay? Because, <laughs> you know, hey, listen, back back, back in the day, back in the day, you could, you, you could put your hands on them, and there was very few tight ends that I couldn't run with. If I had to cover Keith Jackson in, in practice every day, the rest of the league, you know, it was a it was a freaking cakewalk to be able to, to, to cover those guys. So that was never an issue. But I digress, okay? <laughs> Um, <laughs> we had, you're right. We, we had leaders on our team, but we also had coaches that were smart enough to look at the situation and understand what was going on. Um, from a leadership standpoint, um, that's one of the areas where I've questioned Howie's assessment, you know, for the last couple of years, because when you're drafting, especially on the defensive side of the ball, like, the Eagles have great leaders on the, on the offensive side, guys like Jason Kelsey, guys like um, Lane, Lane Johnson, you know, now, you know, you go out and you bring in um, an AJ Brown leader. Um, you, you got guys, you know, who have proven themselves in the league, you know, and Jalen hurts is a, he is a leader. He has leadership qualities. He's just got to get himself vested enough, you know, and pay, you know, and get through this rite of passage to get to a point where, you know, his voice is, becomes the leader, the leadership voice of the team. On the defensive side of the ball, this is where I've always questioned, you know, the Eagles, because when you're drafting, it goes beyond the X's and O's and how good a player can actually be. You have to draft, you have to draft players 
that you see leadership qualities in. Now, BG took him a long time. He's a leader. But all last year he was hurt, and they needed him on the field because you can only lead when you're on the field and you're productive, okay? Fletcher Cox could be a leader. I don't see it, okay? They lost major leadership when they let Chris Long walk and they got rid of Malcolm Jenkins. From that point on, I haven't seen any leadership. Now, people can talk about Darius Slade being a leader. Yeah, but you want to know something? Your leaders also have to be right there in that box. You got to have an offense. You got to, you got to have a, a, a lineman or you got to have a, a linebacker, you know, that has a voice right there in the middle. Not a guy way back there somewhere where can't nobody hear him. Listen, Jerome Brown was the leader on our defense, okay? Byron Evans called every defense, you know, in regular situations. He was the leader on our defense, you know. Um, a guy like Andre Waters and Wes Hopkins, those – see, we had alpha males on our team. And if you don't have enough alpha males that can step into those leadership roles, it hurts your defense. You know, because what I do know is when you lack leadership, what winds up happening is guys try to step into those roles that haven't earned those roles. And then what winds up happening is you create these, you know, you create these these factions, you know, within the unit. Because, again, in order to be a leader, in order to have a voice, you better be productive. Okay, when you're producing, then you have a voice that resonates with your teammates. But when you're not productive and you're bumping your gums, guess what? There's four or five guys over here. It's like, man, he got his ass blown off the ball. What is he over there talking about? You know, oh, well, you know, he blew five coverages in last week games. What is he talking about? You understand the dissension yeah. that it creates if you're not being, if you're not productive, you know? So this is the quandary that the Eagles find themselves in. Now, listen, I think that N'Kobe Dean is, is a bona fide leader. Okay, but it might take him a year or two to actually step into that role. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know that I don't know that Jordan Davis is necessarily that dude. Could he be? I mean, to me right now, he's like a big kid. You know, the biggest thing they're going to have to do is keep him away from Pats and Geno's and keep him away from, um, you know, Tasty Cakes. You know, to keep it, keep his weight down. But he looks like a big kid. But if he ever gets to a point where he understands Okay, then he can step into that role and he's going to be a hell of a football player. You know, if he can get himself down to about 215, 220 and just understand that he can be dominant every play that he if he understands that, then he can step into that role. So now what you're starting to see is how he's starting to draft some guys that have, you know, that dual nature where they're a great player, but they also have some leadership qualities. And hopefully those leadership qualities over the next couple of years will begin to evolve and you'll begin to replace some of the leadership that you lost a couple of years ago. Two last questions for you here. Let me say this to you here, what you just said about Jordan Davis. Man, if I got to tell you to stay away from the snack table and I got to tell you to stay away from White Castle, I got a problem with that, man, because this is a profession now, man. This is professional football. This is a job now. This ain't on you ain't on scholarship anymore, son. You're now being asked to do something. If I got to take the 13th pick off the freaking field on third down, the money down in this league today compared to when we played, I got a problem with you. And Gary Cobb's telling me he's huffing and puffing, walking around the camp. Dude, you're in helmets and shorts. 
Thank God you don't have to go through two days like we did or you get your ass kicked. My problem, Seth, is I hear the 478. I see the 66. I see all of that. But to me, man, his production doesn't equal the ability that he has. And sometimes when you and I have seen that, the most overrated comment is ability. And sometimes it's the most underutilized. He's not an overachiever. That kind of worries me a little bit. Does it you? Of course it worries me. I mean, it was, it was one of my biggest concerns when the Eagles, you know, made made the move. And listen, there, there's no denying, like you said, there's no denying the size, the gift, or the gifts that this kid possesses. Um, but let's not lose let's not lose focus of the fact that he is a kid. Okay. Um, and, and all kids who enter the NFL have to go through this growth process. You get some guys that are mature beyond their, beyond their years and they step in right away. Like when I look at a guy like Nicobe Dean, he looks to me like a guy that just gets it and understands it. He's just in a place right now where he just needs to learn the defense, like walking, like when you walk, you don't think about putting your right in front of your left and so on and so forth. You just do it. Once he understands the defense to that level, now you got a full-blown dog on the field that can just get it done. When I look at when I look at Jordan Davis, okay, um, I see a kid that's young. Um, there's nothing wrong with being close to your mama because I was a mama's boy, but he is a big-time mama's boy. His mama pushed him into football. That's how he really got into football. He really didn't want to play football. Now, that's not a negative thing because, listen, when you watched him play, he was dominant. You know, you can't double-team this kid because he stands up double-teams right at the point of attack, and that's one of the things that you need, okay? But is he is he playing football because he loves it, and he, is, is he hell-bent to be great, okay? If he's hell-bent to be great, then he'll do everything that's necessary. This is the problem that I see with the NFL and how, how they deal with these young players now. These young players have figured out a way to game the system, okay? The bowl season is over. They're national champions. Guess what? He, dro- he drops out of school, okay? He goes to API down or, or, or Exos down in, in Arizona or Fisher Sports or somewhere in L.A. or Florida, and he's going to train for the next two months. Why? He's getting ready for the combine, okay? So I understand last year he played between 350 and 355, but he goes to the combine, okay, and he slims down to 341. Why? Because he wants to run better times. He wants to impress the teams that, that may have interest in him, okay? So he clocks in at a 473 at 341 pounds. Oh, everyone's just buzzing, okay? It, can you keep him at that weight? Can you get him below that weight, okay? Does he have the, does he have the discipline to say to himself – I play better at 320 than I do at 341. Or is he going to say to himself, well, now I'm paid. I got my signing bonus. I'm the 13th overall pick. And guess what? I, you know, I can play at 350. I can play at 355 because I did it last year at Georgia. Yeah, you were playing against college kids. Now you're playing against grown-ass men. And in order for you to be successful against these grown men, you need to get in the best shape of your life. You need to lose the baby fat. You need to put on some muscle. You need to harden your body. And you need to be ready to do battle because these guys in the NFL, it's a whole nother level, okay? So now the question is, do you really want to be great? 
or are you satisfied with just with being the 13th overall pick, knowing that you're going to be pampered and nurtured for the next three years? What is it that drives you? You know, when I look at a guy like Ray Lewis, you know, who you know well, listen, that dude came in the league and he had nothing on his mind but greatness, okay? I can, I can name off a whole bunch of defensive players whose mindset was that way from day one, okay? If they can surround him with the right people to get him to understand that this is a business, okay? You, yeah, right now you got m- more money than you ever thought that you'd have in a lifetime, okay? But it's just a drop in the bucket of what you can have if you get yourself in the best shape of your life, okay? If you can become a three-down player, if you can become as dominant in the pass rush as you are against the run, okay, the sky's the limit. The sky's the limit for the amount of money that you can make. If the Eagles can pay Fletcher Cox on average $20 million over the last how many years, five, six years, what is Jordan Davis in the, in the long term going to be worth? Because guess what? The salary, cap's, salary cap is only going to go up. Oh, yeah. It's only going to go up. People don't realize how much money was in this new TV deal and how that's going to affect the salary cap. I think in the next five to ten years, as crazy as it sounds, the salary cap is going to be over $300 million for the same 53, same 53 players, okay? So now, as a player, you have to ask yourself. $25 million a year. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Twenty-five. Last question for you. You know, I, I know that you're impressed with A.J. Brown being added to the roster, as I am. But let me ask you something, Seth. Last year, the biggest deficiency, and I just spoke about this, that Jalen Hurts had was throwing in, in between the hash marks. All the great Tier 5 guys, and I call the Tier 5 guys the elite guys. That's where you make your living. You don't make your living uh, outside the hash marks throwing the ball deep. You make it throwing across the middle, pre-snap reads, knowing where to go. They got away from that because he struggled at that. A.J. Brown is not a deep threat guy. He's more like a Michael Irvin kind of guy. He's physical. He's big. He's going to get yards after the catch. I'm going to be interesting to see how Nick Sirianni develops that without taking away the development of Devontae Smith. And you've got a guy who just gave a contract extension to and Dallas Goddard here who can be that seam guy. I'm going to be, and like you said on the defensive side, there's a lot of chess pieces to put on the board, but there's a lot of, chess pieces to put on the board on the offensive side, especially with a quarterback who's developing. A.J. makes his money across the middle. That's not where Jalen is. It's rollouts. It's outside the hash marks. You having the sideline protect him. How do you see that dynamic working out? Well, I think that this – listen, with this being a prove-it year for Jalen, you know, and, and – and, You've heard me say it. You know, your viewers have probably heard me say it. I believe that, you know, that the NFL has gone past crazy. You know, I believe that especially when you have young quarterbacks, you have to run the football to give them time to develop, give them time to be able to see the game the way that they need to see it. And I thought that the Philadelphia Eagles just arrested Jalen Hurts' development in the first seven games last year. I mean, there were games where Nick Sirianni was throwing the ball 35, 40 times a game, and you was forcing something that you didn't necessarily need to do. Um, you needed to run the football. They figured that out in the second half of the season. It saved their, their season. And they, you know, they went play action pass. They rolled them out. They did a myriad of different things. 
the difference this year is this is the year that Jalen Hurts has to prove that he can be the guy, okay? I love the fact that he's in California working with a quarterback guru. I love the fact that he's hanging around Tom Brady, shadowing him, you know, shadowing greatness, trying to have some of it rub, rub off on him. But let's just be honest. In a prove-it year, Jalen Hurts is going to have to throw the ball 30 to 35 times a game this year in order to win. And I don't care how much I toot the horn of you got to run the ball, you got to run the ball. They need to know that he can be a guy who can throw the ball 30 to 35 plus times a game and be able to complete the ball 60, 63 to 65% of the time that he puts it in the air. They have to know that. So we can talk about, you know, what AJ, AJ Brown is and what everybody else is. You know, listen, there's only so many balls that can go around. That's why you saw um, Quez Watkins kind of disappear from the offense last year. I mean, we saw all this promise in preseason. We got to the regular season, and he all would just disappear. Now, some people will talk about all oh, the 600 yards that he had, but listen, he was like Casper the Ghost. He was like in and out of the picture all season long, and it didn't make any sense to me that the fastest guy on your team, you couldn't figure out a way to get him involved in what you do offensively. But when you got, you know, the number 10 pick, and you got – Dallas Goddard, who you just traded away, you know, one the, probably the best tight end in the history of your franchise to, to ensure that he's now the guy and paid him, okay? There's only so many balls that can go around when you're running the ball at the clip that they were running it last year, okay? This year, there's going to be enough balls to go around. Um, how they choose to, you know, use, use A.J. Brown, you know, is yet to be seen. But what I do believe is that A.J. can do a lot of different things. I think that sometimes people fall asleep on his ability to get vertical on defenses, especially when defense is going to show that, hey, we're in man-to-man coverage and we think we can run with A.J. Brown. Guess what? A.J. Brown is a lot faster than people give him a lot of credit for. So while the majority of the work that he does is underneath, you know, it's those situations where see, and, and this is this is my thing, Dan. This is my thing about throwing the ball deep. Everybody says, "Oh, you got to have shot plays. Oh, you got to have shot plays." So you're just going to line up on first down and say, "Oh, we're just going to take a shot here." No, it doesn't work that that way. You know, Buddy Ryan used to always say he used to tell the defensive lineman, "Hey, you have to earn the right to rush the passer." You know how you earn the right to rush the passer? You shut down the run and you put right. them in a predictable passing situation. If you don't shut down the run, then they can stay balanced on you and keep you off tilt, off kilter. But when you shut down the run, you put them in obvious situations. Now I can dial up blitzes, you know, with stunts to get you guys free. But you have to earn the right to do that by shutting down the run. Now, let's talk about, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, okay? In order to earn the right to to push the ball down the field, A, you got to run the ball. And you got to run the ball halfway effectively. And sometimes you don't have to run it effectively. Sometimes you just got to run it enough to make the defense think that you're going to you're gonna continue to run it. So every time he sticks it out, listen, the linebacker's got to freeze. The safety's got to freeze. All of that's got to happen because they got to honor the fact that you can run the football. Okay? Then you got to hit enough, you got to hit enough um, underneath routes, complete enough underneath routes to make the defense want to tighten up. Okay? And then, last but not least, the thing that you do is that you got to pick your spots. You don't just willy-nilly say, oh, we're going to take a shot here. No. You got – there's there's probably 20 
plays for Jalen Hurts every single week for him to check into based upon a look that he gets, okay? And when he gets that look, he's got to check to that play. He can't miss it, and he's got to take advantage, <coughs> excuse me, of that opportunity. That's your shot play right there, okay? Tom Brady doesn't come out just throwing the ball down the field all day long. Guess what? Systematically, they move the ball down the field. They run the football. They take the short the short passes, they systematically score points every possession, every other possession. And when they get a lead, then the defense is in a position where now they got to do some things uncharacteristically, things that they don't necessarily like to do. The game is on the line. They got to bring pressure. And now Tom sees the pressure and he looks out and he sees he's got Gronk matched up with a guy that's half Gronk size. Guess what? He's going to take a shot or, or Mike Evans or, Chris Godwin with a favorable matchup because they know the matchups and they know who they want to attack, you know? So now those are the times where you take your shots down the field, but you got to earn the right to do that by setting that up. And to me, that's all offensive coordination. So when you're just calling players off the top of your head, you're not coordinating anything. You're not confusing defenses. You're not giving them one look against the run and you give them the same look. And then here you go play play action pass off of it, you know, you have to set it all up. And for Jalen Hurts, that's going to – Nick Sirianni is going to be the key to how he's able to set it all up and then take those shots downfield. And hopefully we can see the growth and the improvement in his ability to not only push the ball down the field but throw the ball with timing and rhythm. Everyone wants to talk about how weak his arm is. That's not the case. College quarterbacks, most college quarterbacks, especially running quarterbacks, don't understand the principle of throwing the ball on time and in rhythm in the NFL. Why? Because they're used to running the ball like crazy in college, going play action, and looking down the field. Do I want to throw it to him, him, or him? No. In the NFL, it ain't like that. Even if a guy gets a step, while the ball's in the air, he can close the gap. So the ball has got to be out on time, three-step, five-step. It's got to be out on time, and it's got to be out on rhythm. And that's the only way that he's going to get better is to learn and understand how that process works. Love it, man. Hey, Seth, by the way, I had Keith Byers on last week and I went like this to him. I go, you think Seth Joyner is a Hall of Famer? And he went like this. You're damn right that dude's a Hall of Famer. And you know what, Seth? It's funny. I get asked by the Hall of Fame voters all the time about particular guys. And when they get down to their final 15, there's about 10 and people know this who watch the show, I give my five guys that I think um, should be on that list. And a lot of people are asking me about Zach Thomas. Zach Thomas is not better than you. And so I will make that proclamation. And I know the people in the Miami media are wanting me to push that guy. But does it ever cross your mind, Seth, with the career that you put together? A lot of you guys were overshadowed by the likes of Reggie and, and Jerome that sometimes guys – they kind of fall through the cracks a little bit because you play on such a great defense. They always assume, well, look at Jack Cam. Jack Cam was a really good player, but look at the guys he had in front of him. I mean, do, do you ever feel like, does that ever cross your mind when you put your head on your pedal that, hey, some of these guys that are being considered for the Hall of Fame, you know, I've really never really been in that conversation. Does it, does it cross your mind? Hey, listen, I'm on the nominee list. I've been on it for the last three years. You know, I, I I don't talk a lot about it, Dan, because I'm of the belief that, you know, when you have Hall of Fames, you know, in different ones, I'm, I'm a member of. I'm a member of the one, you know, back, 
you know, in, in the town, in the city where I grew up. I'm a member of, you know, the one in my college. Um, I'm in the Eagles Hall of Fame and the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame. All of these Hall of Fames are subjective, okay? And when they're subjective, you have someone else that is making a decision on whether or not you deserve to be in their Hall of Fame or not. Is that flawed? Because Kurt Schilling last week um, on my show said that that's the system, that's part of the system that's flawed. Hey, listen, it, it is It is what it is. And I mean, and you can't, you, you know, you can't get bar- bothered by it. That's just the system and that's the process, you know? And I tell people all the time, I did not get into pro football, you know, to be a Hall of Famer. Although it would be a tremendous honor to be one, I got into pro football because it was my dream to be a professional football player and, you know, to try to maximize, you know, my abilities. Um, You know, listen, at at the end of the day, the voters are going to vote for whoever they want to. It'll be, you know, what it'll be. I will say this about, you know, um, you know, guys who kind of get overshadowed by. You think Eric Allen's overshadowed? No, Eric Allen, you know, I'm perplexed. And and I'll talk more about him, you know, not being in the Pro Hall of Fame, you know, than I ever would me. That's a a straight-up travesty. You understand what I'm saying? Because when you look at his numbers in comparison to Aeneas Williams, who I played with, um, Ty Law, even though, you know, he won a bunch of Super Bowls, you know, Leroy Butler gets in, you know, this year. I mean, How did that guy get in? You know what? And, I, and, and I'm not. I'm listen. Damn, no, I'm I not. did. I went like this. I said this. Leroy Butler got into the Hall of Fame. I went, wow. I'm not. I'm not upset. Damn. I'm not upset with guys not getting in. But it is an absolute travesty. Even Deion Sanders has been quoted as saying, "It makes no sense that Eric Allen is not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame." When you look at his numbers. His numbers are right there with any of the top top Hall of Fame corners that have been inducted in the last 10 years. It's just a fact. So then you have to ask yourself, you know, what's the process? What's the what's the prerequisite? What's the requirements, you know, for induction in, into the Pro Football Hall of Fame? You know, um, you know, when you look at one guy who's vastly deserving and he doesn't get in, you know, and another guy who's on the same level. And he gets in before he gets in. I mean, there, there, there are things that just don't make sense to me. And, and, and lastly, just to talk about, you know, you talked about Jack Ham um, and playing with such good players, great players. And in my case, playing um, behind, you know, a Reggie White, a Jerome Brown, a Mike Pitts, a Mike Golick, a Clyde Simmons. Okay. Um, those guys in our front, could probably go down as one of the greatest fronts of all time. Okay. Absolutely. So now when I look at Pitts, Jerome Brown, Clyde Simmons and Reggie line, you purple people eaters, um, the uh, sack exchange shit like that. They're right in there. Okay. So, so I'll say this in defense of guys like Jack Ham and even guys like myself. Okay. So I have 52 and a half career sacks. I've got, you know, wow. 20, 25 interceptions. They wow. only have me. They only have only have me down for twenty four. But if you go back to the House of Pain game, they gave me a fumble recovery instead of an interception. It should have been an interception. So I always counted myself. I have twenty five interceptions. Okay? So you got fifty sacks and twenty five 
INTs. Yeah. Yes. I can't I'm, think of very I'm, many linebackers in pro football history that could put that distinction. I wonder what Ray has. I'm the only player. I'm the only defensive player in the history of the NFL that has 50 plus sacks and 20 plus interceptions. The only one. Okay. So, but, but let me let me but, but let me finish. Let me finish my let me finish my take here. Okay. So 52 and a half, 25 interceptions, um, 27 caused fumbles, um, 17 recovered fumbles, um, five touchdowns, three fumble recoveries, and two interceptions for touchdowns. Okay. Now, can people tell me, you know, when they make the when they make the distinction that, oh, you had that career because of the guys that were in front of you? <laughs> no. Well, did those guys just give me 52 sacks? No. Did that my do you think Reggie and Clyde and Jerome no. wanted to give up? Don't you think they want those on their tally? Jerome ain't giving anything up. <laughs> okay. Okay. So and 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 with Wes and Andre and um and Eric Allen and Ben Smith, you think those guys are giving up any okay. So then when you when you talk about accomplishments, okay, do you not believe that at some point in time that you know maybe I could have been a benefit, you know, to those guys when I'm when I'm rushing and I'm eating up an offensive tackle, you know, and they're getting a single team instead of a double team, and they get a sack. So my 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 deal is, you know, it all works together. You know, yes, every great linebacker. If he accomplishes anything, he accomplishes it because he's got a great front in front of him. But you can't take away from what he accomplishes and say that he only did that because he had those guys in front of him. Because I had to go and get those 52 sacks. I had to go and get those 25 interceptions. I had to go and cause those those fumbles. And I had to recover those fumble recoveries. And I had to do all of those things, you know, while playing amongst all these great players, you know. So it makes no sense to me when you talk about Jack Ham and what he accomplished and, oh, you know, because he had all those great players. No, Jack Ham was a great player. That's why Jack Ham, you know, did what he did. You know, listen, I played for but 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 Carson. But Carson was the orchestrator of that defense. And what I understand is that Bud Carson trusted a guy like Jack Ham, and that's why Jack Ham had success, okay? Buddy Ryan and Bud Carson trusted Seth Joyner, and that's why it says Jordan had success because they put you in position to make plays because everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. They could trust you to make those plays, even with all the other talent around. I could just hear Andre Waters and Mike Pitts and Reggie and Jerome sitting there going, You're damn right I didn't give Seth shit. He didn't get any. He earned it all, man, because we're all fighting for our own stuff. Hey, man, what a great group. That must have been an amazing locker room to be part of. And I'll tell you this, and closing here, to be in that locker room must have been even more fun to be in that locker room compared to on the field because of the brotherhood. Mm -hmm. Just I heard with Keith Byers and Keith Jackson talking with all you guys. Man, what a group, Seth. I mean, the love that you guys had for one another, 
it reflected it on the field. And that must have been an amazing locker room. And I remember going to the Eagle um, when I was getting worked out by the Eagles. You guys had this dungeon underneath the vet. That old locker room, man, I walk in here, I'm like, this looks like a county jail. (laughs) It looked like a county jail. And I could just imagine what that locker room must have been like. It must have been sensational. Dan, it was was home, man. It was home. And and we, you know, Reggie was the elder statesman. You know, when we got there, there was no doubt that guy was going to be there. But Buddy came in and pretty much cleaned house. You know, I think Reggie was the elder statesman. Wes Hopkins was an elder statesman, and Andre Water was a holdover. All three of those guys. Everybody else, we grew up in the game together, you know, and Buddy always figured out ways to keep us together to the point where, okay, you know, I got to know Clyde and Jerome and Reggie and Andre and Eric Allen, you know, and when you spend that much time around each other, you get to a point where it's like, you know what, Um, I get to know their families, you know, their kids, their loved ones. And, then you, and, and when you create that kind of camaraderie and that kind of brotherhood, then every 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 time that you you take the field, you move away from, you know, just playing for yourself. You know, you start to play for your brother. You start to lay it out on the line for for your brother. Even when you're like, even when you're hurting, and, and you're you're on the sideline, you don't want to get back in selfishly just for you. You want to be back out there with your brothers because we're all out there battling. We're all out there fighting together. You know, I think that's an important piece, an important part of how you build a defense. Okay, how often can I keep my guys together? Because the closer they are, the more they know each other, the communication gets better on the field. Um, caring about each other is a big part of being a team, even though it's segmented offense, defense, and special teams. Caring about each other is a big part. And then getting to a place, teams only win championships when they realize that it ain't about them, okay? The quarterback's going to get more credit than he deserves, and when you lose, he's going to take more heat than he deserves, okay? But it's about everybody. It's about me sacrificing on a play where I got to run a pick play and knock a guard off so Jerome can loop around and come free. I'm okay with that because you know what? He just sacked the guy for 10 yards on third down, just punted the ball. Now the offense gets the ball, you know, at the 50-yard line, and they're on a short field, two first downs. They're, they're, in, they're in field goal range because guess what? We're, the objective is to win, okay? And if you got to sacrifice, it, it all balances out. And, and I'll tell you this last story before we get out of here. I knew that Arizona was a mistake when I, you know, and, and this, this, what happened, this is what happened when I got there, Okay. We didn't win many games. We, we, we won a game and we we're sitting in the locker room. The locker room was just a buzz and everybody was high-fiving and happy. And there was this guy, he was sitting in his locker and he had his head down between his legs like like we had lost the game. And I said, hey, man, what's, what's up? He goes, man, you know, all I had was two tackles to death. And in my mind, I started, you know, I when he said that, I walked away and I sat in my locker and I just contemplated it. And I'm like, there's no wonder why this football team, you know, is as bad. This organization has been as bad as it's been. Okay. Because what perpetual losing creates is a me mentality. Yep. Okay. Yeah. We lost, but I had 15 tackles and two sacks. Okay. Who gives a damn? You right. still lost. Everybody that wears that Jersey has lost, but you're happy. Now you're happier when you got statistics than you are when we win a game. It makes no sense whatsoever. 
But that's what perpetual losing is all about and which and why you have to build a selfless team where everybody's willing to do what's necessary for the other guy to succeed. And I, and, and I had a conversation with the kid, you know, a couple of days later, I'm like, listen, man, it always balances out. Okay. You had 15 tackles the week before and you only had two this time. I said, you do the numbers. Okay. Do the numbers. You tell me you do the simple math. And if you can't do it, I'll help you with it. But you tell me in a two game situation, what does that come out to? And he kind of like looks up the sky. He's like, that's eight tackles a game. I'm like, okay. <laughs> eight tackles, eight tackles a game, eight solo tackles a game. Like you're a hundred tackle good. guy. Okay, so what are you complaining about? <laughs> what do you complain? It's always gonna ebb and flow yeah. in that manner. That's just the way it goes. You're gonna have good games, you're gonna have bad games, you're gonna have extraordinary games that even bumps your averages up that much more. But when you become so accustomed to losing, you gotta find wins wherever you can get them. And those wins normally come with self-achievement and how I play today and how I'm perceived. And teams like that never win a damn thing. Seth, I have to put this Keith Byers question to you. One last one, please. He said, I asked him, what broke the team up and what stopped you guys? He said, Norman Brayman, we had a deal for uh, Jim Lachey. We were going to bring him in to upgrade the offense. I had never heard this. Mm -hmm. And I said, what do you think? caused that team at the end of the day to get broken up and Reggie to leave. I said, I don't believe Jerome or Reggie would have left uh, Philly if Jerome hadn't died. And he agreed with that. And he also said though, that it, he was forced to because Norman Brayman wasn't going to pay Reggie the money to stay in Philly. Did that whole thing get blown up? And <laughs> did Buddy Ryan get blown up because the owner just didn't want to keep the team together because of finances. Well, is that a true story? I I think that listen, the, the Jim Lachey story is one hundred percent true because you got to remember Jim Lachey went to Ohio State. He played with Keith right at Ohio State, so Keith was the one that was trying to facilitate that trade, and that trade was going to happen. You know, we wound up not getting Jim Lachey. The he goes to Washington of all things. Yes. Washington winds up getting them, and that same year that they traded for him, they won the Super Bowl. Um, with Buddy, it was more of a situation where, you know, we lost in the first round of the playoffs three years in a row. And what wound up happening was during this whole time, Norman Brayman was hardly ever around. He'd come around like once or twice a year. So Buddy started, he had a chateau in, in France, and Buddy, you know, used to refer to him as, you know, the guy in France. Well, you can only poke the bear so long before the bear bites. You know, the guy is writing your checks, you know, and you're talking about him in that manner. And and, and just the fact that, you know, it, when they brought Richie Kotite in and, and they made Buddy fire, um, what's Ted's, Ted's last name? I can't remember him right now. Ted Cottrell? No, Ted. Um, his name will come to me. Um, he was the offensive coordinator. And and they made Buddy fire him, and they made him hire um, Rich Kotite. And I think everybody could see the um, I think everybody could see the writing on the wall. They knew at that point in time that if we didn't win at least a first round game the, the following year, that third year, that there was going to be a change coming. Um, and we just wasn't we just were not offensively equipped you know, to get done what we needed to get done. Um, 
the, the best chance that we had was, you know, the year when Randall blew his knee out. Yeah. You know, I mean, we lose Randall the first game of the first game of the season. And, you know, we go number one across the board in defense and we go 10 and six and can't even make, we don't even make the playoffs, you know, with, with five different quarterbacks starting that year. Um, but I don't think, you know, the, the, really the linchpin was Jerome. When Jerome passed, we just knew that the handwriting was on the wall um, because even with a guy like, you know, Bud Carson, you know, there was incentive for us to stay together because, you know, once we realized how legit he was, I think we all wanted to continue to play for him at least, you know, if not for, for, for Richie. But when Jerome passed away, um, I think that that was the impetus for Reggie to say, okay, enough, because Norman just wasn't going Norman was going to pay him $4 million a year to play back then at that time. And, you know, they, they always tried to, you know, they always tried to in the media make it seem like they made this great offer. And I know that to be a lie and not to be truth because when I came, when Clyde and I came up the following year, even though I had no inclination to stay and play under Norman Brayman, I never wanted to leave Philly, but there was no way in hell I was going to sign another contract under Norman Brayman and under, um, wow. under Rich, um, under Richie Kotite. Well, you know, they went to the media. Oh, you know, we made them. They, they put the number out in the media. Oh, we, we offered them this much. And I looked at my agent. I'm like, dude, that is such bullshit. That's not even close to what they offered. I said, and even if they offered more than what I was offered in Arizona, I wasn't. So they tried back. to paint you as the bad guy. Of course. You, you think that you think that teams don't do that? Oh, I know that. They, they, they do it all the time yeah. because they had to justify to the fans why they let Reggie White, Keith Jackson, and then Seth Jordan and Clyde Simmons walk away from the organization. Buyers you, too, and and then buyers to my to Miami. How you let five of your your best players just walk away? Okay, so the only way that they were able to to justify that was to come out and make it seem like they made us all this great offer. You know, when it was a lie, it was a bold faced lie. It was nothing but a lie because they weren't even in the ballpark but they made the fans and the media believe that they put this grand offer out there when they really didn't to make us look bad for walking away. Man, what we could sit here. And by the way, don't forget tonight, 7.30 Eastern time, I'm going to be on with Seth and with Hollis Thomas. I can't wait to talk ball with you. Seth, you're one of my favorite people, and I see why JB and Keith and all them dudes love you, man. I mean, you're one whale of a teammate. And I could just see you going like this. Move your fat ass over in that three technique. Dude, you're getting me killed on the center. <laughs> no. Hey, listen. The, the one thing that I never had an issue with, listen, Jerome and Mike Pitts were technicians. Anytime I was off the ball. Wait a throw, minute. Jerome never ran around the block. No. But what he would do, see, the difference was, see, I, I mean, I got so many great stories. So you remember, <laughs> you, you remember Eric Swan? I do. So I can remember never when played, I was, never played college ball, played semi-pro with the card. Then he played with the Cardinals. Okay, so let me let me give you this story, and then I can make the comparison. Okay, so we're in practice one day, and um, you know I'm in an over. So in the over, I'm off the ball, and I've got a three technique. Eric Swan's the three technique. So we've been we've been working this, you know, we've been working this for a while. So anytime you get flow away, he's got to squeeze the guard yep. so that I can get to the front side A gap and yeah, he's in he's that B make gap. Flat for you to yes. scrape. Yes. So what he kept doing was he kept running around the block. So every time that I would take a step, bam, the guard would like hit right. me in the mouth. You know, knock you so off I, your scrape lane. 
So I got I got pissed off one day, you know, and and nine on seven, and I'm like I'm like, damn it, Swan, if you ain't gonna fucking it, excuse me, I said, if, oh, if, I said I said if you if you're not gonna if you're not gonna hold a jump through, tell me. Oh man, well I can go make plays if I want to. I don't need to tell. I'm like play the damn technique. If you're not gonna play the technique, then just tell. I don't have to tell you. I can run around and make the playoffs. I'm like, listen, man, I played with better than you, better than you'll ever be. And you know what they did? They either ran a technique or they told me they weren't going to do it so that I could deepen up, okay, and get across that block, all right? But just to do it and and have me expect for you to do it the right way. That's insecurity. That's insecurity talking right there. So when I talk about Jerome Brown, okay, what Jerome would do, Jerome would be down the three-point stance and he'd turn and look at me. He's like, hey, man, I'm gone. And I'd be like, gone where? Now I knew what he meant. <laughs> Listen, I knew what he meant, okay. But in the in the in the grand scheme of things, like I was like, I was like by the letter. It wasn't until like later in my career where you know I started to take chances where I could really understand the fronts and where the weaknesses and the strengths were. Then I would take chances. But early on, I'm like, going where, you know. And it took me a while to understand. Okay, when he says I'm gone. He's jumping my gap. Yes. And he's telling me to cover his. We would do this, Seth. We would do this. We would go like this because sometimes those guards, they would get a flat foot on you mm-hmm. like a Stepnoski or a really good guard. And what you do then is if you look at your linebacker, and we used to do this at Miami. Jimmy Johnson used to let me and him do this. Hey, I'm going to come backside on him. What it does is. It stops that guard from hard playing your front side mm-hmm. because what it does is then he's going, you think he's going to jump me from behind and make the play off my backside because that guy's got to come down and try to scoop him and yeah. slip him. I, I hit the gap. It, it, what it is is a chess game, and you stop that guy from over going down on you on your front side shoulder. So that's why Jerome would do that is to stop that guard sometimes from getting flat on him because he may be getting to his inside or his outside. That's why he would do that. And it was, it's a brilliant move. But like you said, you got to have a guy behind you. That's willing to do that because most of the guys don't want to do that shit. No, listen, all he's got to do is communicate to me. If he tells me what he's doing and I know I'm like, okay, I'll just deepen up the five yards instead of four and a half to, to four. That way I can get across the block. Okay. But if, but if I'm expecting for you to do your job so that I can do my job and yeah. you don't do it, now we got a problem. If you tell me that you're going to go, just tell me you're going to go, okay? So <laughs> now what? So now, <laughs> now instead of me lining up where I'm lining, I line up stacked behind you. So when that guard slips, boom, I can get downhill and get right in that gap right now. It's, it's easy, you know? But when I'm trying to read and he's not my, my number one read and then I got to get across and I can't get across because you you ran you you ran behind. You let the jump through off and you ran behind the play. That's problematic. You know, and I just told him, I was like, listen, I play with guys, man, like Mike Pitts. He died before he let some let a jump through get off. Absolutely. Jerome, he, he would die before he let it get off. And if he decided to do something different, he at least had the wherewithal. He understood what my job was. So in order to do that, he said, okay, I'm gone, man. And let you want to know something? 95% of the time when he said, I'm gone, he made a play in the backfield for a loss. 95% of the time. 
That just tells you how smart you guys were and the savants that you are. Please, tonight, this continues tonight with Hollis Thomas, 7.30, the Seth Joyner Show. Seth. Oh, that show, that show is going to be fire. Man. Oh, no, no have doubt, you, dude. Have, have you ever been on with Hollis? I have not. Dude, let me tell you something, man. You might want to have a beer before you come on. <laughs> he, he, he is a piece of work. We, we're going to have so much fun. You, I'm telling you, people are going to wish – People are going to wish that we had a two-hour show tonight. They're going to wish that that, that that show never ended because he is a piece of work. There's nothing that won't come out of his mouth. I'm at least, I'm at least a little bit, <laughs> a little bit cautious about the language that I use. This dude, he is off the charts. And I, I just, it came up in my mind when you t- contacted me last week because I was with him at a golf tournament last week, and then you contacted me about coming on on your show. And I was like, you know what, this is going to be the show of the year. I'm going I'm, I'm to get big, big sales, you know, and tank to come on the show together. It is going to be on fire. I'm telling I you. I right can't now. wait till tonight, Seth, man. I so thank you for our friendship that we have forged here. And I can't wait to shake a palm with you face to face, man. Thank you so much, brother. I it. love you, man. Thank you for doing this. Seth Joyner, my friends, please hit the like button. That was absolutely spectacular. The amount of time that he spent with me here. Time for Morgan and Morgan, my friends. Where the fee is free means this. They do not get paid unless you do. Finding an attorney is one of the most important things that you could possibly have if you're hurt or injured on the job. Morgan and Morgan, for the people, it's not a slogan. It's who they are. It's what they do. That is getting fair compensation for all of their clients. Last 30 years, $13.5 billion dollars and compensation settlements for their clients. That's what it's about. They're the biggest casualty law firm in the United States of America, and no case is too small for them. There's no such thing as a fender bender. With the army of attorneys of over 800 in offices in Philadelphia, New York, in Florida, and across the country, they will do battle for you, making sure your family gets that fair compensation. Call them. It's free. 800-512-1600. That's 800-512-1600. The consultation is free. 800-512-1600. Open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Morgan & Morgan is there for you. And when you call them, do me a favor. Tell them your boy Big Sill sent you. Many times when people are injured at a place of business, they don't realize they may have a case. The fact is injuries should not happen. And most of the time when someone is injured, someone is at fault. Maybe the store manager installed a cheap, slippery floor, or there wasn't proper security. After an injury at a hotel, restaurant, store, or any place of business, it's so important to call us. Time matters. Size matters. Morgan & Morgan, for the people.com. on a Roku, Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. The big story on action. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. 
field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Mommy Slam Dunk Champion. Really? <laughs> yes, really. Don't sound so surprised. Let's see it. Oh, you're ready. All right, here we go. Let's hear the crowd. <sighs> so go to right, go to left. Fake them up. Mama, go up, up, up. She did it. Again? You can't avoid gravity, but United Healthcare can help you avoid financial surprises by helping you compare costs and doctor quality ratings. United Healthcare. Uh huh. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Welcome back. National Football Show with your boy, Big Sills. He spent over an hour with us. How great was that? I mean, he just sent me a text. He goes, anytime you need me, let me know. And I have to give him a week advance because he's either in Cabo, Arizona, or Philly. (laughs) Okay? So I guess he's got like a triangle, like his own Bermuda Triangle that sometimes you can't find him. And he's always doing stuff. He's really – that football team, man, that gangrene defense is one of my favorite defenses of all time. And what makes it so great is that I – you know what's funny? I met Seth years ago at Jerome's camp that he had in Brooksville. Seth, Seth was so laser-focused – on what his job was and who he was and what he was doing. Wasn't a jerk. It's just, he's a laser focused guy. And so him meeting people back in the day, Hey, how you doing? we probably met a ton of Jerome's or Miami guys because it was the Miami guys. And it was the Eagle guys that hung around. We, we all looped together. Matt Patchen, there was an offensive lineman that got drafted by the Eagles. I think in the third round, like in 87 or something. And he was on that team for a bit. I knew Mike Gullick. I knew some of the Notre Dame guys. I knew there was a guy on your team. Do you guys remember? Do you guys remember a guy by the name of Dave Remington? He was a center. Do you remember Dave? When the Outland and Lombardi trophy, like it was a what, probably the greatest offensive lineman in the history of college football. And I think he was the center for the Eagles for a couple years. And I knew Dave very well. And Dave, I think, started his career in Cincinnati. And then he went to Philadelphia, if I'm not mistaken. 
but I think he played in Philly for a couple years and he was on that old line and man, that whole football team. I, I love that team because it reminded me a lot of my Miami guys had big personalities and had everything on it when it came to toughness and Hey, you know what guys, one thing I'll ask you, and there was a lot to take out of that interview. Um, Seth doesn't see leadership. Is he right? When Malcolm Jenkins left and when you don't have a guy like Malcolm Jenkins back there and he's no longer on that football team, is he right? Who's the leader on that team? He didn't seem to think that Fletcher Cox was a leader. Here's the ultimate leader and one of the leaders on that gang green team saying he looks at Fletcher and goes like this. I don't know. You know, when I was bringing up leadership, does this current group have enough to sit there and, you know, then again, didn't Fletcher go to Jonathan Gannon last year in the public? Didn't he go in the media and go, hey, man, you know what? There's some things here. You know, was it that a leadership moment? I thought that was a watershed moment for the whole team. It's when Fletcher went like this. Hey, man, this guy's asking us to do shit. And I don't, you know, we're, we're not really kind of understanding what's going on here. Fred, he said Brandon Graham not being out there, man, hurt them. You know, see, you've got to have guys in that huddle that say, say a play comes in, okay? And you got a coordinator that will send something in. And he'll go like this, 43 with a twist and a banjo coverage, something like that. And all of a sudden, leader, your defense goes like this. Listen here now, man. If they come out in wide sets and they come out on the left side of the hash mark, they're going to try to run that counter tray back at us. So keep that open up there. Make sure you keep that wide side open and make sure you set the edge out there because if you get sucked in like that, these are all things you're talking about like this and you're pre-snap. You'll come out, you'll go 4-3 twist, banjo coverage, cover two. And you'll say something else, and the leader on that defense will be in there going, hey, watch out that counter trade, man. They're going to be on the weak side of the field. You make sure you keep the edge set out there and you're outside shoulder free. And you're sitting there, and you're hearing that. And you're hearing the guy behind you going like this. Okay, big gaps, big gaps inside, big gaps inside. Watch out for the splits. Center guard split, center guard split. That could be a counter trade trap. That could be a tight end trap. They could bring the tight end up and trap the tackle. you got to have a lot of conversation out there. And when you have leadership out there and when you've been playing with the guy next to you for a long time, hey, man, when I play next to Jerome Brown for a couple of years, Jerome goes like this. And when he said, I'm gone, I knew exactly what Jerome said. Jerome tried slowing down that guard from getting flat on him on trying to get to his front side. And what he would do was slow that guy down. He goes, you think this guy's going to run around that block again? What that tells Seth to do is Seth cheats over and he cheats over more into a three gap. You think you got that on your Eagle team right now? You think you got that kind of leadership there? I didn't see that. <laughs> you know, it's pretty hard to be a leader, okay, in zone coverage. Let <laughs> me keep everything in front of me here. I'm not going to rush the passer. Do you know the number one important thing was last year for that Eagle defense? What do you think the number one thing was the most important for the Eagles last year on defense? You know what it was? 
making sure you set the edges, and make sure you didn't get beat deep. It wasn't getting to the quarterback or resting the passer because you didn't have anybody to do it. Okay? Trust, GT, that, that game green defense, watch this. You're going to have Andre Waters and Wes Hopkins doing this shit. Watch this. Wes Hopkins is going to go like this. That tight end's getting a free release, man. We got to drop somebody on his ass. We got to put somebody out there. Somebody's got to chip him at least. He can't get free releases running down the seam like that. They're going to make that pass all night long. And then when we're back in coverage back here, he's making that play. So that's why when you walk over to the sidelines, that's why coaches do this to great defenses. What are you guys seeing? I don't want to hear Jonathan Gannon going, well, we're going to mix it up. No, man, let his dudes make the call. When Jonathan Gannon says, we're mixing it up, dude, I'm going to come over to the sidelines and tell you what we're going to run. Don't tell me what we're going to run. I'm going to tell you what the feel of the game is. Yes, you can set the trends up on what the Giants do or Washington does or what Dallas does. Hey, guys, you know what a great coordinator does? Do you know what a great coordinator does? A great coordinator gives your trends book on Wednesday. All the things the last three games and your last time you played them, especially if it's a divisional opponent, and you go over their trends. On third down, they like to run the counter tray. On third and long, they like to go to the tight end. I play action. On first and second, they like to run they like to run in between the guards. They may pull a guard every now and then. And what you do, you start looking at it. Then you watch it on film and you get an idea. And you get an idea what defenses you're going to be in and fronts you're going to be in to counter what they've done and their trends for the last. You get trends for the last three games and your last time you played them, especially if it's a divisional opponent. And you'll look at that and you don't, you'll, you'll, start, you'll start the game out and you'll go out there. He'll do you mostly in a base. And then as the game goes on, you walk off the field and great coordinators will say this to you. Like if Dave wants that would go, what are you guys seeing? Big splits. Okay. Big splits are trying to run inside on us. I think we may be shading and maybe what I would do is a gap crash. Either me or Jerome would do the gap crash and that will tighten that splits down and that'll take him out of that play. And you've got to make sure you set the edges with the, with the defensive ends. And if I were this too, I'd watch that tight end coming off the line of scrimmage because he'll have free run if you don't bump that guy. If I'm going to hit the gap crash and we're going to set the edges and that tight end gets off the line of scrimmage, especially if he's a quarterback that understands the game, he knows free snap, he's going to read all that. That's why as a group, do you think you have that kind of group on defense? where they're going to sit there and talk like gangrene. I don't know. Okay? I don't know. Okay? Sills, what type of defense would you play on Hurts? Oh, I'd set the edges and make him throw it from the pocket. I would never let him roll on me. And I would actually, if I did bring, if I did, okay, Okay, if I did bring pressure, I'd make him go to his weak side throwing uh, lane. I'd make him roll right. He likes rolling. He likes coming out, and he likes going to his left. I'd make him roll right. I got to hit a timeout. 
I got to hit a timeout. Guys, please, man, hit the like button. You guys were absolutely spectacular. Thank you so much. We're going to reset. Keep it right here on the National Football Show. on a Roku, Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. The big story on that. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. You can't avoid gravity, but United Healthcare can help you avoid financial surprises by helping you compare costs and doctor quality ratings. United Healthcare. Uh huh. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Welcome back, National Football Show. Please hit the like button, guys. Let's get to 100 likes. You guys have been great. Seth Joyner gave us so much content. Man, that's great. Jim Burtz, tell that to Jackie Robinson. I knew Jackie Robinson. So did my dad. My dad actually played golf with him. I actually swam at Jackie Robinson's pool at his house in Pound Ridge, Connecticut. I actually know Rachel and played with his kids and went to school with his kids in Connecticut. He lived in Stanford after he got done. Actually, I think he lived in Stanford his entire time. He played with the Brooklyn Dodgers. 
I think he lived in Stanford. I knew Jackie very well. Actually, the foundation sent me a patch on the anniversary of the color line. Major League Baseball made the players wear those patches. I actually have one. I should probably hang that. No? The foundation sent me a Jackie Robinson patch. Isn't that crazy? My whole life, I've met some of the some of the greatest and most impactful people of all time. And Jackie Robinson's one of them. I didn't know who he was. He used to play golf all the time at Pound Ridge in Connecticut in Stanford. And my dad would play golf with him. My dad was a really great golfer. And my dad would play um, golf at, at Hubbard Heights. And my, my cousin, Clem Miner, would also play golf with him. It's pretty crazy, huh? All right, guys, please hit the like button. Appreciate everybody coming aboard here. Thank you so much. Um, before I reset here, Gardner Minshew, what would you do with him? Why don't you think Howie did this? Let me move. Gardner Minshew, sign Nick Foles, get another draft choice for Gardner, and have Nick in the building. Two really great substitute teachers, right? Would you trade him? I don't think so. I don't think, I think if they were going to trade him, they would have. Okay, they would have. They would have. See, Chalk It Up Sports says bringing Nick back would have created too much in the locker room. I'm paraphrasing you, Chalk It Up. Really? Nick Foles wasn't considered a substitute teacher back then. Hence the contract that he got with the Jags. He wasn't looked at. You, You know what's funny? Let me put this here. Isn't it funny? Nick Foles right now is looked at as a substitute teacher. And Carson Wentz in Washington is being looked at how Nick Foles was being looked at when Nick was in Jacksonville. See, Xander's right. See, That, to me, is kind of what we were talking about with Seth. Dude, you got another guy with a ring in your locker room? How does that not elevate the room? Plus, he's an engaging guy. The players like him. People like him. Jalen would have liked him. Jalen doesn't have the personality that Wentz has. You know, Wentz is like a person that if... You know, your wife gets jealous because you're looking at a good-looking woman. Man, my wife looks at me. When I look at a good-looking woman, she laughs because she knows I'm not pulling the ripcord or doing anything stupid. been with my wife for 30 years. She's comfortable and confident. Jalen's confident and comfortable with who he is. Carson Wentz's biggest problem as a football player, he doesn't have the confidence that he needs inside. 
It's one thing that portray confidence to your teammates. See, in the NFL, though, they'll weed that out. They'll know right out of the gate you're insecure. Carson Wentz, to me, his biggest problem is insecurity. Okay? His insecurity. And, 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 and it's an internal thing. I'm not saying that he cares what others think about him. But I'm talking about how he feels that inside of him. I could think that Carson Wentz could be inside a depressed type of guy and have a depressive type of character inside of him, and he keeps it bottled up like that. Okay? That's what it comes off to me as. Because when you really don't give a shit what people think of you, you know, you could develop that. Personally, to me today, I don't care any longer what people think of me. Okay? And that's why I keep people kind of, you know, at a distance because very few people know me. And the people that I let in are people with great, strong character, like Seth. Seth Joyner, man. You think he gives a shit what people think of him? Absolutely. I love that attitude. I, 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 I gravitate to that attitude. I hate the attitude, woe is me. Oh, oh my God. Is it really happening to me? Dude, the worst type of man you can have in your locker room is that guy. Woe is me. Oh, shit. Another thing is happening. Dude, make it right. You got too much shit happening? Clean all that BS off the table. Pick three things that matter the most and start building the damn Tonka truck up again. Get it going. Build it back up again. Get rid of the bullshit. There's so many things, man, that people, okay, they just allow it to lay there. Randall, you know you guys are in, man. I told you this before, okay? I have talked more sports with you guys in the last year and some now than I have in the last seven years in my sports talk career, okay? By the way, I want to tell you this, too, what you guys have done. Man, you got people from all over the United States now calling big sales. People from Barstool to Sports Grid to every place. Because they're watching the show. Philadelphia Eagles watch the show. Hell, I'm getting Doc Rivers on next week. Got the Sixers watching the show. What we need is the Flyers to watch (laughs) it. Poor Ed Snyder's no longer around, but if Ed was alive and he was still standing, he'd be on this bitch. I know Ed. I knew Ed well. Be like, what's going on here, man? 47 years and we haven't raised a cup? What are you, nuts? Crazy, man, right? All right. I'm going to reset here in a second. Okay. How many people think that Jalen Hurts is overachieved. You and your effing flyers. <laughs> hey, Xander goes like this until they win. I'm going to start fining you and deducting your pay every time you bring up them dudes. Okay? No more flyers, please. <laughs> uh, you know what? What's this? Click, 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 click. <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. No flyers. No flyers. No, no, no Barry Trotz. Yeah, he'd be a great, no, no, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. How many P 
people think that Jalen Hurts, as of May 24th, has overachieved as a Philadelphia Eagle. How, how many players can you say that on your roster? You think Devontae Smith is overachieved? I think he's kind of underachieved. Um, Miles Sanders, you think he's over or underachieved? I think he's probably right along that line. Um, Jason Kelsey, overachieved. Lane Johnson, overachieved. Jordan Malata is probably your greatest overachiever in the history of your franchise, maybe. This guy didn't know how to put a helmet on four years ago. Now <laughs> he's an elite tackle. Yeah. And you, hey, wait a minute. Did you guys, did you guys draft him in the seventh round? Did you guys draft him in the seventh round? Did Milata get drafted in the seventh? Jesus. So wait, you draft him in the seventh. He didn't put a helmet on. Okay. Okay. You didn't put it. He didn't put a helmet on until four years ago. Um, I'm thinking that's overachieving. <laughs> yeah. Right. He played the sport my daughter plays. Okay. Seventh rounder. It's insane. The only other guy I can remember that had that low of a draft is Larry Allen. Larry Allen was a 12th round draft choice out of Humboldt State. And he's gone on to be arguably one of the top three linemen in NFL history offensively. Larry Allen was a 12th round pick. <laughs> and you're like, dude, if you've ever seen that guy in a helmet and shoulder pads and uniform, he would freak you out. It's not so much his height. It's his width. He does not fit through a doorway walking straight through. And he benches 700 pounds. That guy, and I know him well, he, <laughs> dude, he gets his mitts on you. He'll pull the jersey off your chest, man. Let me see this one. Fletcher Cox, over or underachieved as an eagle? What do you think? And Jalen, Jalen Hurts, in my opinion, I think he's overachieved. Okay? I think he's completely overachieved. Okay? Fletcher Cox. You think he's overachieved? Okay? Overachieved ring winner. Okay. Lane Johnson. Lane Johnson's overachieved. Dude, Lane Johnson is a borderline. I don't know if I could say it. Okay. I don't know if I can say it. I'd have to look at it. I almost said it. Kelsey's a Hall of Famer. Lane Johnson. Kind of close. Okay. Lane was a first rounder though. Hmm. Well, then he's lived up to expectations. So you would call it a push. You're a first rounder and you started all these years. 
Well, that's why you were drafted. Okay, right? Man, he's a good player. Okay? Early first rounder, then it's a push. Then it's a push. Who's the dude that's up in Chicago now that played your left tackle position? God, Trey, um, what's his name? That was here for the longest time. Super Bowl. Oh, God. That dude's going to the Hall of Fame. Um, what was that guy's name? Offensive lineman. He was really he, – he's going to the Hall of Fame. He played with the Bears last year. Peters. Peters is freaking spectacular. Jason Peters, spectacular lineman. Spectacular. Um, how about sweat over underachieved so far? Over? Hmm. How about Hardgrave? Oh, he's a Hall of Famer. Jason Peters, the Hall of Famer. Um, Jason Peters could be one of the best offensive linemen in the last 25 years. Mia on sweat. How about Hardgrave? Over or under? Got out to a great start last year. Paying him 12-7. Push at this point. TJ Edwards over. Peters is the Tom Brady of offensive linemen. Dude. I can't believe how actually well he played in Chicago. They said, hey, come out of retirement. I couldn't. If he didn't get hurt, I think he may have been a Pro Bowl alternate again. Okay. He's a good football player. Hardgrave, I'm a little bit kind of Switzerland on him still. Okay. I'm a little bit Switzerland on him. All right. I want to get to a comment. That I wrote this down too. That Seth Joyner said last hour. Who's the big? Who do you think is the biggest wild card for 2022 for the Eagles' success? Jalen Hurts. Or Jonathan Gannon. Who's the biggest wild card? Who, in your opinion, do you feel could hurt this team's chances of winning, knowing this, that the quarterback on every single play can cost you a game? Gannon. Gannon. Andrew Switzerland, Gannon. That is a freaking toss-up, James says. Sanders, both, Gannon. Mismanagement. Did you see the press conference running the same defense? He said, I did, Fred. I watch it. 
that's why I'm asking the question. I mean, I also heard a little mixing it up, but I did hear Jonathan Gannon say, we're going to run the same base. I'm like, why would you run the same base when you've got improved personnel? Gannon's defense could give offenses more positions. Jalen Hurts' 16 TDs and 9 interceptions was better than Josh Allen's. Christopher, Jalen Hurts is nowhere in the conversation of Josh Allen talent-wise. It's not close. Okay? That's like saying Tom Brady has the same talent as Aaron Rodgers. But Brady's a better quarterback. Can Jalen improve being a better quarterback? Absolutely. Will he ever be the talent Josh Allen is? Never. Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Steve Young, John Elway, all are superior athletes to Tom Brady. You're, it's two different things you're saying there when you say that. It's two different things. Okay? Xander's right. A-Rod has more talent, but will always be half the quarterback Brady is. Why is that? Okay? Why is that, you think? Because Brady is more of a due diligence guy. Brady studies the game. Can I tell you the difference that I think between Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and the difference between Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz? Can I tell you, and you know what really is troubling what I heard about Jordan Davis that Seth said last hour? Hoss, if I've got to tell you to stay away from an IHOP or a White Castle and you don't know that without me telling you, you don't love the game. You don't love it. You got to love football, man. It's got to be your first love. You got to love it more than your kids, your wife, your family, because it's going to ask things of you that have never been asked of you before. You'll sacrifice pieces of your body, your spirit, your mind, depression, anxiety, euphoria. All of it happens. It makes you crazy. It's a passion and love that you have. You'll always have it. Why do you think when players leave the game, it's depression because it's their only love. Your family, you sacrifice your family. You sacrifice your body. What do the players say? I'll do it again. You got to freaking love it. When I hear a guy go, Aaron Rodgers doesn't love the game like Brady loves it. Jalen Hurts loves the game more than Carson Wentz does. Carson Wentz is superior talent than Jalen Hurts. He's a far better quarterback skill set wise. But Jalen will probably have a longer career because Jalen loves the game. Jalen has been told, you suck. I pull you out. In a national championship game, in front of the world, I would have shrank. 
kid goes out and excels too. And you're sitting there. What does he do? Rises up. Doesn't leave right away. And is a great teammate to Tua. Don't you think that every general manager in the NFL goes to that moment where he could have been like Spencer Radler or Caleb Williams or some of these other guys? Like, you know what? I would have held that against Baker Mayfield for getting beat out at Tech Tech and he had to leave. Instead of trying to beat the guy. How about that kid at Georgia who was like a walk-on, got beat out, had to go to junior college, came back, and now won a national championship. He'll never be a quarterback in the NFL, but I'll tell you what I would like to have him. I'd like to have him some part of my business or part of my company because you know what I know? He knows never to give up, and he knows what it takes to be a champion. He may not have the greatest skills on the planet, but he knows what it takes to win, and he's not going to be deterred by bullshit. Okay? I love dudes like that. Dude, you're never gauged on what kind of human you are when things are great. People want to see, why do you think the NFL in those interviews ask you some of the worst questions on the planet? They want to see when you get a little adversity in your face, what kind of man you are, how you conduct yourself. I used to be all that too. Get fired from a job. You start talking shit on your employer. What's the point? People looking at you and they make you and they turn you into exactly what they wanted you to turn you into. See, I told you he's that guy. Not me anymore. I don't give you the satisfaction of that shit. I'll always talk about my employers with great, great, great opportunity. Thank you very much. That's how I do it. I may hate your guts, but I'm not doing it anymore. You're not, you're, you're not catching me like that. See, that's a setup for failure for the next job. Not working. That's why Jalen's a better man. He loves the game. He loves the game. Okay? <laughs> it's not true. It's not true. Okay? You know what I love about my boy, Xander? Xander could talk to me any way he wants. Okay? You know why? I trust him. No way. Uh-uh. I get upset with people who talk with me and say shit to me that I don't respect. You got to remember something here, son. And I'm talking to everybody out there. For me to be upset with you, okay? You 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 better you you better know me very well. Okay? And if I think you're coming from a place of shit, I'll, I'm the, I'll treat you worse than you've ever been treated. And I don't care about the consequences. Okay. Look at my, same thing with Tony Bruno. That's the difference. And when I talk to you about loving something, Jalen Hurts loves football. You know, when you guys constantly tell me this about Jalen, oh, he works hard and, he studies. He was coached by his dad. That's love of the game. That's love of the game. Tom Brady loves the game of football. 
He loves it. He chose football over his family and retirement. What possibly could Brady come back for? You know why? He doesn't want to leave his first love. Brady's having a tough time divorcing the game. There's no easy way out. Breaks your heart. It just breaks your heart. I'll never forget, guys. And when I hear Jordan Davis, I'm, he's not sure if he loves the game or not. I got a problem with that. I've seen so many guys with so much ability that kind of love it and ride along on their abilities. I think Aaron Rodgers is that guy. Rico goes, Brady was bored at home. So you're bored around your family? Here, I'll tell you something here. I was 34 years old and I was playing in Canada. It's my fourth league. I was actually in Vegas. It was called the Las Vegas Posse. I wanted to play for Ron Myers because Ron had recruited me for SMU. 34, calf injuries. I had made the team. I had three games in, so I was an officially a CFL guy. I'd gone up and play. I, mean, I, I really had a good time with this. I went just like this, and I'll pretend that this is a mirror. I'll never forget it. I put my head down, and I looked up, and I said I played seven years. Pro football. Maybe not the way I wanted it. I almost died in the process in the middle because of meningitis. Took another four years off it, probably. The game's been really hard on me. People thought I was going to play 13 years. Not going to cry about it. Played in the NFL, high draft choice. Played in Canada. Played in the World League. Was property of the USFL, original. Played in the Arena League. Kurt Warner did all this. I said, it's time to go, man. I never forget. I walked out, looked at my wife, and I go, that's it. I'm going to call him and tell him I'm retired. And it was cool because I was active. Nobody said, what about Davis? You don't have to say it when you're fat. Your big sales on the Wall Street goes to work at Bear Stearns. And it's funny. Hey, look at what he says here. Nobody said that about Davis. So you think being overweight, you have to tell somebody about not loving the game? Chris, your actions tell you. Your actions tell you that if you're not ready and you're not in shape to play professional sports, you really think I need to have him tell me he doesn't love the game? If you're fat and out of shape and you're not prepared or you're not ready to go, that's a you thing, dude. That's not a coach. It's not a player. It's not a leader. That's a you thing. If you're fat and you're out of shape and you're not ready to go for the July camps, that's a you thing. And that tells me you don't love the game enough. That's my take on it. That's my take. You don't like it. I don't care. You're fat and you're not ready to go. You don't love the game. Morgan and Morgan, where the fee is free, means this, folks. If you're hurt or injured on the job, 
Getting that attorney is one of the most important things that you could possibly do for your family. You're hurt or injured on the job, like I said. Getting that attorney to get you the fair compensation that you'll need will be one of the most important things that you possibly can. Okay? Finding that guy. For the people, it isn't a slogan. It's who they are. The biggest casualty insurance, or excuse me, law firm in the United States of America is Morgan & Morgan. They will make sure that you are protected and that your family gets the fair compensation that it so needs. With over 800 attorneys and offices in Philadelphia, New York, Florida, and across the country, Morgan & Morgan is there to protect you. There is no bigger firm when it comes to getting the compensation that your family needs in America than Morgan & Morgan. They are the biggest size matters, and it matters here. Do me a favor. Call Morgan & Morgan, 800-512-1600. That's 800-512-1600. Open 24-7, seven days a week. 800-512-1600. When you call Morgan & Morgan, do me a favor. Tell them Big Sill sent you. I'm John Morgan of Morgan & Morgan. When you're hit from behind in a car crash, the insurance company may try to say, you can't possibly be hurt. It was only a few miles an hour. It's simply not true. You see, here's the thing. Getting hit at 10 miles per hour is like falling off of this. 15 miles per hour, like this. And only 25 miles per hour, this. Injured, dial pound law. There's only one Morgan & Morgan. on a Roku, Fire Stick, Android TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. The big story on action. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Mommy Slam Dunk Champion. Really? <laughs> yes, really don't sound so surprised. Let's see it. Oh, you're ready. All right, here we go. Let's hear the crowd. Ah. So go to right, go to left. Fake them out. Mama, go. Oh, mama.
again. You can't avoid gravity, but United Healthcare can help you avoid financial surprises by helping you compare costs and doctor quality ratings. United Healthcare. Uh huh. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Welcome back. National Football Show with your boy, Big Sills. Please hit the like button. Thank you guys so much. Zeke Elliott is going to make $18.5 million this year. So wait a minute. Dak Prescott is making $45 million. And Zeke just rounded off to 20. You got $75 million in two players that aren't top 10 players. Seventy-five million dollars in two players. Let's say it again. Two players that aren't top ten players. Doc Prescott's not a top ten quarterback. Zeke, he might not be in top fifteen running back. That's seventy-five million dollars. How how how? How do you go like this? No wonder you couldn't make moves free agent-wise. They had to cut loose of Amari Cooper. That would have been $95 million for two, do- three dudes. Half your cap would have been on three guys. I learned one thing about the running back position. Unless you're Derrick Henry... I'll never pay for a guy um, over $10 million. I will never do that. No way. He's got to be Derrick Henry. Like, when you flip him the ball, he runs the whole team over. Like, am I right? You know, Dalvin Cook's a little of that. He's a great back. Kid up in Minnesota. Okay, the kid in Minnesota is like, he's a, he's a great back too. You could look at Kamara and go, he catches the ball well and runs the ball. Probably your most versatile. It's like those three dudes. The rest of them, bus riders. Spa, appreciate you coming aboard. Jonathan Taylor, Randall. Let me see him do it again. <clears throat> Let me see him put these years together, like Kamara and Cook. And Derrick Henry have. Before I do that, he's in that group. 1,800 yards, phenomenal year. Phenomenal year. But will he be a durable guy where I'm thinking of a second contract? Watch this. I'll ask you, Randall. Are you going to get Jonathan Taylor a second contract to a guy that you're giving over 250 carries to on his rookie deal? Would you do that? Okay. Would you do that? 
You're right, 65. My bad. 65 million. Thank you, Brian. 65 million. Two dudes. Two dudes not in the top 10, like I said. Would you give Jonathan Taylor as of May 24, 2022, a second contract? Would you be confirmed right now and giving him a second contract? I don't know. How many second contracts have worked out as running backs? Make Christian McCaffrey the highest paid running back. That guy is, he's a broken down vehicle. Todd Gurley got a second contract, never panned out. Zeke got a second contract, terrible investment. They're all terrible investments. Okay? I would never give over $10 million to a running back. He better be Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry's the most overrated. Derrick Henry is overrated. That's the first time I heard that. Running game is laughable, that's why. It's a great question, though. Howie, you know, at first I was going to roast you, but then I started thinking this. So, Howie, what you're saying, the Eagles can't win a Super Bowl with last year's offense. Is that correct? Even if you had the number one ranked offense, Howie Weasel, you can't win a Super Bowl with that style, can you? Can you win a foot? Can you win a foot race to the Super Bowl and Lombardi Trophy with the Eagle style of football that they played last year? Me, I say no. I say once you get into a passing situation. With people like Brady and Rodgers and Stafford, you're going to get annihilated. And that's exactly what happened to the Eagles. They got annihilated. Right? Remember what Jaws said when he was on the show? Jaws goes like this, Sills. I would never in a million years ever run the ball. My offense would look like um, an arena league football game. Ryan says, Sills, is this Miles Sanders last year in Philly? Yeah. They're not giving him a contract extension, Ryan. Miles Sanders makes $2.5 million a year. Do you know what the franchise tag is for running backs? It's like 13.5. You don't really think or you don't see the Eagles giving that guy a $13.5 million um, franchise tag, do you? Is Miles Sanders worth bringing back? Okay. How much you think you're paying him $10 million? Miles Sanders, I would say this to you. Here's what I would do to Miles Sanders. I'd give Miles Sanders three years. I'd give Miles Sanders three years at $21 million. Is that fair? I give Miles Sanders or is that too much?
Three years, that's seven million per, right? Five million is 15. It's double what he's making now. Would you give, what would you give Sanders? Three years at 15 million? Two years at 10. Suave with a team option for the third year, right? Draft a running back every two and three drafts. Yeah, but never use more than a third round. Release his ass. Here, folks, just to give you an update here. Really, he was just fantastic. Seth Joyner interview uh, will premiere at 6 p.m. right when your show ends, right after our show, I should say. Be sure to let everybody understand if you guys missed any of it out there that you can watch it a little bit later on too if you can't watch it right at the premiere. Okay, I mean, he was just awesome. He stayed on for over an hour um, with us and we really appreciated him doing that, man. He he just kept talking and, hey, I kept doing this too to Seth. Hey, one last question, one last question. I must have did that how many times, Xander? I must have did that 10 times to him. I got one last question. I got one last question. <laughs> Hey, I'm going to end it here. I, I couldn't do it, man. I think he didn't want to end it either. Okay? I didn't think he wanted to end it. NFC East, you're going to let him walk? Sanders is not dependable. I'm not paying that guy. Oh, you're saying, Randall, um, three years for 12 or 15, right? I'm not paying that guy per. Um, yeah, Matt, three years, 15 to 17. You think Miles Sanders could get $5 million on the open market when a guy like Melvin Gordon couldn't? I don't know if, I think that might be, I think we're, you know, I, and I, and I get the salary caps going up and salaries are going up. So I've got to be. Fair to that. But, dude, you're going to pay that guy $5 million to be in your backfield when your quarterback makes $1.2 million? Man. I don't look at Miles Sanders as being a really good player. I think Miles Sanders is a fine ball player, and he's a pro player for sure. But a $7 million guy? Maybe the numbers, again, maybe the numbers are jading me here. And it could be because it sounds like, oh, man, Dan, get off my lawn, dude. Chris goes 3.3 a year. He's making 2.5 now. I like that idea, Rico. Trade him. Get some value for him. Okay. Pay her, they're not paying Hertz. Okay. I like that question though. Play along with me here. I'm going to ask you this. If Hertz 
was a free agent right now. How much is his market value, you think? How much would you pay him and how how long of a term? Because I want to see where we're going to be if this guy has a good year and the year that people think he's going to have. By the way, I'm going to say this to you. I think Tug of Viola, Xander, remember I said this. I think Tug of Viola is going to throw for 4,200 yards, 4,300 yards, have 33 touchdowns, 10 picks. And I think the Dolphins are going to have a better season than the Patriots. I think Tua is going to shut folks up. I didn't say that last year. Okay? I think he's going to shut people up. Personally, I think the Dolphins have a better roster than the Patriots. Better coaching, obviously. But the skilled people, their pass rush is better. And their passing game's better. I'm talking Dolphins. Okay? I think that guy's going to go for over 4,200 yards passing. I think he's going to have like 33 touchdowns. This kid's going to shut folks up. Okay? How much did you pay Jalen to be your starting quarterback if his deal was up right now? I did this I did this before with, with Dak. And I said this to you. If you put Dak Prescott on the open market coming off of an injury when Jerry signed him, you think he'd have got $45 million a year? I think he, I, I, I never thought Dak Prescott – no. Xander asked a great question. Could they extend Hurts midseason this year? Here, here. Know this. This is how I think it works, Xander. Because you weren't a first rounder, there's not a there's not a fifth year option or a fourth year option, whatever it is. I think it's a fourth year option. And you become a free agent. It's one of the perks of not being drafted in the first round. They're not going to hold you to the same contract requirements that the first rounders have. Do you know that if you're a first round draft choice and you're a quarterback, your entire deal is guaranteed. The entire thing, signing bonus, salary, everything. That's why no matter if Baker Mayfield plays or not, Baker Mayfield, because the Browns picked the option up, have to pay him $18 million. No matter what, Baker Mayfield's making $18 million this year. No matter what. How they divvy it up, if the Browns pay more and another team pays 10%, 15, 20%, he's making $18 million. That's part of the collective bargaining agreement. Now, I don't know. I'll have to look it up, Xander. Can you renegotiate a deal in season? And could you? I think you can negotiate an extension, add it on, because Patrick Mahomes, if you remember right, he was on a rookie deal. By the way, that deal doesn't kick in. I'll take that back. That deal kicked in last year with the accelerator of the new CBA. So he's now making $45 million. 
Okay, but he was on an original rookie contract, and they added the 10-year deal on the back end of that rookie contract. So there's going to be no gap in Kansas City with Mahomes. He's just paid out. Now their accelerator, and the reason why the Chiefs, it was smart, it was a hometown cooking deal and really great for the team. What they did was because the new CBA with the new TV deal kicks in this year, and with the new money, Seth even brought this up. With the new money, these quarterbacks are now on these accelerators. Carson Wentz, too. Okay? This year is the year of the contracts going up. The cap's going to get to like 218 next year or something like that. 222. It was going to go from 08 to like 228 or something like that. Seth's right, man. It could be $300 million in the next couple of years. So, would you... How about this? If Jalen gets out to an eight and one start, seven and two start, do you extend him? Do you extend him? He gets out to a seven and two start. Because then he's going into his final year of his contract and ain't no option there. Once the season ends, he's a free agent. That's the beauty of being drafted in the second round. If he's 7-2, there's no team option. That's a fact. I know that. Has he earned a second contract? Has Jalen Hurts earned a second contract? Man, I don't know. I don't think so. But if he gets out 7-2, off a 9-8 season, be 16 and 10 at that time as a starter over two years. Cap is 208, note 22. It'll go to 20. Yeah, that's about right. Wow, look at that. Man, look at that. If he wins a playoff game, you're letting that guy walk to take a lottery ticket in the draft. Am I going to pay that guy $45 million, though, for winning a playoff game? Tim Tebow won a playoff game. Are you going to pay him $45 million at the end of this year? (laughs) Would you pay Jalen? You think Howie Roseman is going to pay that guy $45 million? Boy, he better do some fast dancing and some big winning. No way. I'll pay him. Tony, I'll pay him if he gets to the Super Bowl. He gets to the Super Bowl, I'm paying him. Yeah. He gets to the Super Bowl. Hell, he gets to the NFC Championship game. Damn, man. I hate I hate when Xander does that because Xander's talking like today and salaries and money, and I'm still stuck with my $300,000 salary. <laughs> and I still, right, it's totally that. It's completely that. Yeah, well, I only made three hundred grand, and 
Dude, it's relative, bro. <laughs> D linemen are making ten million dollars a year now. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I saw a guy who was drafted fifty six. What he made? This guy's getting like he's getting like twenty five million dollars. I'm like, what? <laughs> right? You're going like what? He's getting twenty five million dollars. What are you crazy? These guys are making today, man. So I got to always remember that. Shit, man. Guys were great, man. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, Seth Joyner was spectacular. We really had a great time. If you missed any of the interview, please. We're going to debut it here right after the program here. He was on for over an hour. And we talked about gangrene, today's Eagles, Jonathan Gannon, we really covered, and we went along every single line covering everything in that interview. So we appreciate Seth and his time. So you can watch that. If you miss any of the show, too, please go back and watch it. Share it a little bit later on. We so appreciate you guys coming aboard. We will catch you tomorrow going three to six, and we'll see you on the flip side.